Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And with me today is a very special guest, a person that, whose work I've been following for a very long time on YouTube. And it's a person I actually haven't met in person. Who am I speaking to on the other, other side of the microphone? You're speaking with Oliver Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good. Um, first off, I want to say thank you for taking time out to do this podcast with me. No, it's, it's absolutely fine. It's, uh, it's great talking with you. All right, thank you. And so for the subject of this podcast is we will be discussing Oliver and with his work, what he's been doing on YouTube, whether it be his retrospectives, his Let's Plays, and his commentaries with his friends, as well as certain film uh, topics that I discuss with my friends at nauseum at times, and I would love to get your opinion on it. That's cool with you. Yeah, that sounds fine, mate. All right, and let us begin the retrospective with Oliver Harper. I know that you had put out a Q&A uh, video a little over a year ago, so some of the questions will be repetitive with that for some who haven't seen it. And for the rest of it, I tried not to repeat all those questions that were in there. Um, first question is, when and where were you born, sir? When and where? Well, I was born in 1982 and in Cambridge in the UK. Very nice, very nice. And do you still reside there? I do indeed, yes. I have not moved away, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, have you been to America before? No, I never have. Uh, probably down to not having the money. <laughs> expensive, expensive flights. I understand that. I, I've only been up and down the East Coast of America as well. I haven't even been to the West Coast either, so don't feel too bad about that. <laughs> um, what was your earliest movie theater memory? Uh, the first film I ever saw was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990 with my dad. That was the first time I'd ever gone to cinema. I was must have been coming up to eight years old. And some of my friends around the same age had, had seen things like He-Man the movie and Superman 4. Mm-hmm. But my parents didn't really you know, take me and my sisters to the cinema that often when, when we were that young. And so I had to beg and plead my dad to take me to see Ninja Turtles. And uh, I absolutely loved it. But my dad absolutely hated it. Do you ever say why he didn't like it? Just didn't like the subject? Well, yeah, yeah. It's Ninja Turtles. Blokes, you know, in rubber suits with animatronic masks. He, he didn't have a clue what was going on. So, <laughs> yeah. But to me, oh, it was like heaven. I was like, oh, my God, it looks so real. But, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's still a great film. So it's, it's stuck with me over the decades. Yeah, I mean, like, I, wa- I just watched it recently. Actually... My friend's 30th birthday last year, like he wanted to go see the remake that came out. Sure. And I was like, I was, we were not enthusiastic whatsoever. We went in with zero expectation. And so we couldn't help, but I guess be entertained just a little bit. And it was like, as soon as that, like uh, we, we broke apart. I brought my girlfriend home and I think I ended up watching the original that night. And I'm like, ah, this is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. The remake wasn't as bad as I was expecting because my expectations were 
obviously quite low, um, <laughs> but it, I found it, it was passable. It wasn't, I wasn't offended by it. I wasn't like, it's ruined my childhood or anything like that. Because I kind of moved on from Turtles years ago. They're still kind of like part of my childhood, but it's not like I've kind of stuck with them and seen what's happening with them in the comics or whatever. So yeah, it was, it was an okay film, but yeah, the original one had, had so much more heart and better photography, better kind of tone to it as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, it's an okay remake or reboot. As, as things go. Um, what was your earliest VHS memory? VHS memory. Um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'd probably, it's probably renting something like Superman three on, on tape. I mean, that was when Superman three had been out for what, maybe five years. So where I lived, there was like a VHS rental place, but they didn't have, you know, a lot of the older films. They kind of were, they had more kind of modern stuff. So I had to go out of, my village to get to, you know, the tapes I wanted. And it was like Superman three. So that was my, my probably my earliest memory, but it's such a difficult question because my memories are a bit hazy on that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. I, I, I assume that was probably, it was probably a mom and pop owned uh, VHS store, not a like blockbuster or anything That's like right. that. That's right. Yeah. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now, I know, like, in your Q&A video, for those who haven't seen it, you said you were a projector at a movie theater for a number of years. That's correct? That's right. Um, what was the first movie that you were responsible for being a projector? Um, it was probably something like Troy or maybe uh, Van Helsing um, when that came out. So that's 2004 gotcha. I started. Yeah, so that was – I think that was the one I – the first film I put together. Huh. Um but yeah, I mean, it might have been some crazy art house film, that was one off special, and uh, I think me and my friend put it together, and we did do a very good job. It kept jump, it kept jumping out of rack, and uh, had a few complaints. But I, you know, I I improved my skills in a short space of time, so it was all right. Well, that, that's like the one. That's like part of the charm with film projection, right there, is that like the second reel starts up, and you you jump a few seconds ahead when you change reels from one to the other. Well, it, the old days, it was like, yeah, reel-to-reel uh, projectors, mm-hmm. so you had to be be there on cue to flip it over. Um, but because most modern multiplexes will always have, a, it's called a platter system, so it's giant kind of plates. Um, so the films would all be put together, so like from reels one to six, for example, so gotcha. it would play in one big loop. So you don't need to be there to swap over the reels. If it, it would if it would jump out of rack, it's because someone spliced reel one, the end of reel one to reel two, incorrectly. So, uh, but yes, yeah, so that's because you know if you've got eight eight or ten screen cinema, yeah, you're gonna in the end, and have only got two projectionists, they're gonna need a big loop system. There's not gonna be a changeover. But yeah, the old days uh, are probably a lot more difficult than it was than it is today. Right, and like like you were saying, like your movie theater played. It seems like both the the big blockbusters as well as art house films. Um, there was a movie theater not too far from me that it's like it's, a, it's an independent theater mostly, and for the longest time they've been on film only. It hasn't only been like for the past like year and a half or two they switched over the digital projection, mm-hmm. with some of the patrons being less than enthusiastic about it. And that's something I, I will get into later about film versus digital. Sure. Um, now I know. You said there was a situation where you accidentally spliced the wrong films together while being <laughs> My uh, uh, claim to shame, as it were. The um, <laughs> basically what happened was um, I was trying to change. Uh, are, you, are you are you talking about the, when I put the wrong film on? 
Yes. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, I, I was trying to change a xenon lamp in one of the projectors. So that's the thing that kind of, you know, uh, gives you the picture, the light. Right. Uh, but it got stuck in there. And, you know, if you get it stuck in there, they're an absolute nightmare to get out. Yeah, and sure. I was, it was only me on shift, and I had to run around. And then the, the, I forgot about the time. So I run around the corner, and, and we had over the hedge, mm-hmm. uh, that DreamWorks. I think it's DreamWorks animated film. Yeah. Um, and we had a horror film called Rika. And mm-hmm. I just whipped, you know, the platter covers off, laced up the film, started it thinking it's over the hedge. And uh, quite shortly afterwards, I get a phone call from downstairs going, yeah, Oliver, you've put the wrong film on. You've put a horror film on. The customers are screaming and complaining. The kids are crying because they sat through the trailers. And this is a 15 rated film. So that's an R rating for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they sat through those trailers, didn't say anything. Probably thinking, oh, the staff probably thought, oh, we, you know, they've got the wrong film on. They'll turn it off shortly. Right. Which I didn't. And then basically the first scene of the film, you see this kind of this person or this animal get decapitated and then this head goes flying towards the camera. And oh. that's when it all exploded with the complaints. My manager came running up and I apologized. He was like, Ollie, they are so pissed off. You know, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do. Uh, OK, well, I, you know, changed all the film, wrote an apology to head office. And they were like, well, yeah, it's human error. And that was it. That was what was, you know, what was publicized was human error you know um and it was it wasn't like i <laughs> purposely put this on yeah you didn't um, make mal- and uh, mal- the weird mal- thing the weird thing is because it, it made the papers like in my local press and you know complaints and I, I was i felt so bad um but this director in london who i'd met up with um and he said because he he watched my q and a and he goes oh my god that was you and he because he didn't because he, he heard it down in london so i gave a pretty rubbish film some good publicity you know, however bad it is, it's still good. <laughs> um, it's funny that you like you mentioned that with the wrong film being put on because there's a similar situation happened a couple of years ago with one of the multiplexes near me, where it was supposed to be I think like the Pixies or, or not not the Pixies, but it was some very childish movie, mm-hmm. and some uh, projectors with. He what he did this on purpose. He oh put Hales Have Eyes two on. Oh no! And it opens with like one of the mutants like like giving birth, and then like the person who like father then gets upset and like rips the child out of the woman and like and that person was like it was like that person was fired because it was found out that he had like i'm gonna mess with these kids who were coming to see this children movie i think it was a packed theater too and i also made the local press right there and when you told me that story i'm like oh i gotta mention this (laughs) (laughs) these were far worse than mine then yeah no 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 like like you say like just to make you feel better that there's some there is some other schlub out there who's done the same thing as me so (laughs) exactly um do you still go to the movie theater that you used to work at um i do um well the cinema chain i worked for it was called cine world they're one of the biggest cinema chain chains in the uk and it was uh, recently purchased by another company called light cinema like a european company um Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's still the same staff, still the same equipment. You know, I think they kind of promised IMAX, but I don't think anything's happened about that. Um, But at the moment, there's because I also used to run run the cinema technically. I mean, the there's a couple of issues with the speakers. So I don't and haven't been repaired yet. So I'm going to a different cinema now. But yeah, I'm still I I will go there. Last film I saw there was uh, Terminator Genesis. So, you know, it's not I still, you know, I, I went there recently. So I haven't completely given up with that cinema yet. 
Right. It wasn't like an awkward experience, like going back the first time since you left Projectionist. It wasn't like... It was... Actually, when I left it from in 2011, I didn't really feel compelled to go back. I didn't really feel in the mood, even though I could still get in for free. My friends worked there. But right. I just, I just was like, you know, once you leave a place, you know, you just don't want to go back there for a bit, even right. though I'm, I wasn't banned or anything or, you know, any hard, any hard feelings. It was just like I was made redundant. So I was like, eh. I'm kind of given up with that. And I, where I lived in town in Cambridge, it was, it was a cinema around the corner for me. It was their, you know, obviously their competitor, but I was like, well, it saves me walking half an hour. I can go 10 minutes around the corner. So makes sense. It does. Yeah. Lazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it reminds me like, cause I used to, uh, before my two current jobs, I, I used to work at uh, a Walmart and it was, I had left to go to school upstate New York because I did a community college here and then for two years, and then I went upstate for uh, two years. And after the first semester, and I came back, and I had no intention of going back to Walmart because I was like, I really didn't like it there, and it was it was out of the way to go there. But I, ha- I a few friends still worked there, so I went in there to say hello. So I put I pull my baseball cap down <laughs> right across over my eyes, so like hopefully the managers don't recognize me. I'm just like nothing to see here. Please don't notice me. <laughs> um, what was um, what was what made you decide to make a YouTube video about um, uh, a retrospective about movies from the 80s and 90s? Uh, well, it all came about quite randomly um because you know i i left cine world i was made redundant i was and i had they gave me a nice redundancy package so i had enough money to think i had enough money to sort of have enough time to think Mm. about what i wanted to do and you know within that space i had i thought okay well let's i'll try and apply for other jobs and stuff like that but in the past over the past year or so while i was at cine world and when i'd left I'd been watching other YouTube critics. You now there was obviously nostalgia critic. You know, became really popular in two thousand eight and nine and ten. I think it really kind of kind of took off. Yeah. Uh, there was obviously James Rolfe. You know, uh, Cinemassacre. So I really watched. I really enjoyed James's work uh, with his Cinemassacre kind of horror seasons he did every year, where he kind of the monster madness stuff. Monster right? madness. Yeah, you know, covering a film every day. You know, like there maybe the, most of the videos would be like two five minutes long varying in time maybe less sometimes but mm. he did a, you know he covered a lot in a month um but i liked that kind of serious tone to it and structure and he obviously um gave you a little bit of trivia thrown in with his opinion um but obviously being a big fan of like dvds and documentaries i mean the alien quadrilogy box set has probably some of the best behind the scenes sort of documentaries essentially are retrospectives on the classic films, you know, right. Alien 1 to 4. Um, so I always loved pouring over those, re-watching them, and I thought to myself, maybe I could try and do something like this. And um, my first video was Superman 4, um, mm. which was obviously isn't a very good movie, but I kind of saw it had some potential in there. You know, there was people wanting to make a, make a good film but didn't have the money and the time. Um, so I thought... I looked online, other reviews, and there may be like one or two, and I didn't think they were very good. Uh, most of them are just kind of, at the time, it, with YouTube, and it's kind of died off a bit now, most critics were just reviewing movies to take the piss out of them. And just right. basically, give. it's kind of like, some of my friends and I kind of discuss some of what, if you look at Channel Awesome and most of their videos, um, it's... They're all kind of similar structures and similar critics doing the same thing, kind of. Yes. Most of it's kind of parody. It's basically, we, we call it kind of the let's plays of movie reviews. 
So basically, you know, you're watching, they're basically condensing the movie down for 20 minutes and just basically coming in with a joke and telling you what's going on on the screen. So for me, it was try and break away from that, but do something kind of educational. But I I hadn't really thought of a formula because you watch some of my earlier stuff, there isn't really a major formula to it. Some of the early ones didn't have an intro, just went straight into the review. There was no Mm. discussion of video games. Um, At that point, I hadn't even thrown in any Siskel and Ebert, which kind of, you know, annoyed people, you know, down the road because people didn't like hearing them because, you know, they just, because if, if Roger Ebert or Gene Siskel kind of didn't like the movie that the viewer is watching, but they loved, you know, that, then it's like, there's always going to be that conflict and I just don't like them. So for me, I chose Superman 4 and kind of went, came up with this, you know, thinking of a way to educate the viewer, but kind of tell it from my point of view. And then mm. I, I did that just randomly. It wasn't, Something I'd set out, okay, I'm going to do a series of reviews. It was just one-off thing. I shared it with some uh, Superman fans on some message board, and they loved it. And then some of my friends kind of messaged me privately and said, Ollie, you should do more of these. I said, well, I've got the time now. You know, I've got no job at this current stage of my life. Well, let's do it. And then <laughs> it went from, you know, Robocop 3, Life Force, Santa Claus the movie. And, uh, well, my Santa Claus the movie one is not online anymore because uh, – was it the, a UK company called Studio Canal? Kind of anything with Santa Claus the movie. Don't know why. On YouTube, Studio Canal block it worldwide. Despite That's the film, strange. Despite the film being you know slated by everyone, and it's on every Christmas. You can get it in bargain bins every year. Yeah, they all block it. So, which is really annoying because I would I would like to return to it at some point, but that's kind of I'll have to contact contact their lawyers or something like that to get permission. <laughs> Right. Um, going back to you saying about the Alien uh, Quadrilly box sets, um, I feel like Alien Resurrection had the least amount of material put in as like as like extra stuff. And I, I feel like maybe that could just be 20th Century Fox or the producers feeling towards that movie. Do you do you agree? Um, I think. Well, with it being a film that the studio really wanted, they just you know the director did what he was told. Um, but I, I, I don't think there was enough in there to really kind of address anything further or like there wasn't, there wasn't enough drama behind the scenes to sort of create extra kind of uh, content for these interviews. Because um, mm-hmm. most people on it were just kind of like, well, they liked the visual design of it, but they, didn't, they weren't really happy with the story. It wasn't really a, the sequel they wanted. But then the director's really happy with it. You know, he's happy with the movie. And so it's... There wasn't also there wasn't enough deleted material which we you know which they put back in that was made it that different either because you had this different intro and you had a kind of a slightly extended ending which was still didn't show you much of Earth did it? They kind no, of it looked like them on green screen sets pretty much. Yeah, but. yeah. So it wasn't that spectacular. I think that happens with a lot of uh, extra content for sequels. I mean, depending on. You know, if, if if people still want to talk about it, you know, it's that's that's the thing. I mean, because you could have like a box set with the first film was most like, like Robocop, Robocop trilogy. You know, you've mm-hmm. got Robocop one with all the extra content, Robocop two and three, nothing, and those have got really interesting kind of backstories to their production. So there's always opportunities there for them to right. take advantage. Like whether it be Frank Miller's script that yeah. was being played into two and three, and then the um, I have, oh. I've, I forget the director's name who did number three, who also did oh, Fred Decker. Fred Decker. And like, I would like to see, I would love to hear his perspective now, his feelings towards it, because like you've said, it kind of ruined his career, which is unfortunate because his two previous movies that uh, monster squad and night of the creeps, 
it shows a lot of potential that like he can make really good movies yet this one thing is like just ostracized him from hollywood i know i mean because rubber cop 3 sat on the shelf for well over a year maybe two years before it got released so within that time frame he could have you know trying to you know if they'd, if they'd previewed it you know, the responses weren't very good. He could have kind of re-edited the film or, you know, restructured some of it. But um, there was an interview with him, um, I think about a year ago, I think when the Robocop remake came out. Mm-hmm. And he was, yeah, kind of, it was, he, he, he took a lot of the, res- the blame because he wrote it. You know, he'd, you know, he went for that. He was, he did what the studio kind of told him to do, like, you know, trying to make it more a family-friendly movie. And, He'd, um, you know, he did say, yeah, my career was kind of ruined by the film, but he, I think he'd done a lot of work behind the scenes, like, you know, just kind of writing scripts, but he was still earning money. So even though it wasn't, you know, if you check his IMDb, there wasn't a huge list of stuff, but he was still actually working. So, which is good, you know, still, yeah. he's still paying the bills. So Yeah, I mean, it would, it would, like, that would be like a really terrible movie to go out on. Like, then you look at people like Uwe Boll, yeah. who's the longest period of time, and he intentionally made bad movies to have the tax write off through German loopholes. And it's That's like, right. and you're like, why, like, why is he getting to still, like, why are, like, video game, or video game companies licensing their movies towards him? Yet Decker, on the other hand, is like, I try to do the best I can through the, the studio's perception of what a good movie was, and yet I'm. Uh, my career seems to be in shambles because of it. Yeah, it's such a shame. I mean, well, apparently he's coming back with Shane Black to do the new uh, Predator sequel. I think Fred Decker is writing it with Shane Black, but that was that news was published over a year ago, but mm. nothing has come to light recently. So either that project's been squashed by Fox or it's still happening. Who knows? Well, with the with the success or failure of Fantastic Four this meet, this weekend, let's oh, yeah. see. It, let's see if they greenlight Predator and maybe <laughs> even ask McTiernan to come back because of his now legal problems seem to be done now, and he's just been in in France doing Q and A's. Um, my next question is, um, other than like your close friends and stuff, like what was the first reaction you got out of uh, like a YouTuber comment from Superman Four? What my with my first review, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, um, that's oh god, I think I think the ones that had commented were were happy that I kind of shared their same opinion that the movie could have been something. You know, if you know if the money was there to finish off the visual effects and have the a lot of the scenes restored. Now, what we've seen of what's been restored. Is kind of you know hit and miss you know the sort of as a kid you'd always see these publicity photos from the deleted f- footage where you got Superman fighting Nuclear Man one destroying these cars outside the Metro Club you think wow right. that looks amazing in these photos but when you see it it's like really clumsily shot and you can tell it's England obviously like a, a you know <laughs> a soundstage at Elstree Studios there's no kind of skyline city um, yeah so it was that was disappointing but it's kind of if it's all it's all a what if you know if it could have been this and that it would have been a lot better but yeah right. i mean most people generally were quite happy with it you know but I, I can't go back and watch it now because so much has changed with me and like you know not not with my opinion just with like presentation so i can't hear my voice from that <laughs> from my first review it's like anything most people don't like hearing their own voice when it's recorded you're like oh my god i sound like that yeah so when you well, my first one, it was, I had no concept of what 
how I was supposed to sound or setting the tone or this is, is this, you know, with anyone, you know, talk, talking publicly or something, you know, you've got to speak to a large number of people. It's always going to be nerve wracking, but doing yeah. it in your room, talking to sitting there, talking to a camera or, you know, a, a microphone built into your TV or you know, built into your computer. It's, it just feels weird. You're sitting there by yourself talking, you know, it just, it's it all seems alien at first, but as you say, when you get, as I say, when, when you do it more and more and more, you get, you know, far more confident. And um, so, yeah, I can't, obviously can't go back and watch that review, but uh, the comments were, as I say, you know, were quite positive at first. Now, did you consciously decide not to go to like the big movies, like the big cult movies at first and decide to concentrate, like if there's a big movie to go to the sequel, um, examples being Back to Future 3 and Halloween 2? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it was, what it always kind of, I always chose films that were were interesting to discuss. If a film's got a you know like a quite a shaky kind of production, but also had something in there which could be pointed out as quite positive, but some people didn't see it, then mm-hmm. I'd kind of go. And that was usually with sequels. You know, that's where things always kind of quality dropped. But um, with yeah, Back to the Future Three, it was it was yeah, it was kind of the sequel that most people didn't really like. Um, everyone kind of loved. Obviously, the first one. The first one's the best film, I think. But number two, oh, yeah. a lot. Well, as a kid, I loved number two more. But as I got older, kind of, I think no, number one's clearly the best. But then right. I, everyone forgets about number three. But number three was all about, you know, uh, Doc Brown. You know, he was, you know, such a fascinating character, and that will kind of that made it more intriguing to me to discuss first. But it's always, yeah. I, now it's it's a bit of a fault of mine because I should have started with the first one and then kind of go through them, but. If you, if you, for example, now with Back to the Future Three being my first one, if someone watches the reviews in order, they probably see like the like they watch one <laughs> and two, then the quality will drop <laughs> when you get to number right. three in terms of like my presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, that was I didn't really foresee that, which I shouldn't have done. But I should have done. Sorry, but um, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> As things go, it's like like I I understand like a lot because like. Part two is just pretty much like an action movie. Well, not an action movie. It's an adventure movie, like, through and through. Like, the pace is really quick. Yeah. Third one, it's a, there's a lot of heart in there, and it's, like, maybe it's, like, a little more sentimental like the first one is. Oh, definitely. And I guess, like, people are like, oh, we, we miss jumping back and forth through time and seeing all the different uh, variations of these characters. And uh, but there's also a lot of people that just don't like Westerns in general, so that could have been a detriment to it. I think so, yeah, because I, 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 I didn't really grow up watching westerns so it was you know as a, as a kid i was always like i can't always brushed it off even though i found the film enjoyable it wasn't you know the one i'd always pick but then as i got older kind of re-watching it think oh wow there's actually a really good film in there mm-hmm. um was there one movie you knew you wanted to um after superman 4 is up was there one movie you wanted to do but waited for and you said like right, let me do a few more things until i get there um i suppose um <sighs> me think it probably would have been something like um robocop 2 um mm. because i had a number of films for my first season of retrospectives i think it was kind of like supergirl i'll see supergirl santa claus life force robocop 3 turtles i think turtles 1 um and superman 4 i think there may be one another one in there but i got to robocop 2 by season 2 of my seat of my retrospectives and that point i thought okay right then i can do it because it wasn't I suppose it didn't really occur to me at the time, oh, I've got to review this film later on because it was just something my friends would recommend a film or I'd pick a certain film and think, oh, this would be worth you know reviewing. 
Or sometimes I just look on YouTube and see how many other reviews are there. Because if you can mm. kind of, if you're trying to get an audience, it's always interesting. It's always, I say, best to try and corner a market of that. So, for example, um, I'm trying to think of a film like like Fist of the North Star, the live action film, which mm. is awful. But there's some <laughs> kind of interesting nuggets in there. But no one had kind of reviewed it, really. I don't think right. so. Anyway, there may be like one review floating around on YouTube where someone's sitting in front of their webcam going, I like this movie or whatever. Right. Uh, but it was, once you, if, if, you, if you're the only person that's done that review, well, you're going to get the audience, aren't you? Because whoever types in the search function, boof, you're number one on the search results. So right. that was it. That was kind of it. On by the second season, I think, or maybe a bit later on, I'd kind of think, okay, what? Let, let's pick movies. Obviously, that I enjoy, uh, you know, enjoy a lot, but also find a film that's kind of no one's really covered extensively. Mm-hmm. And then, what was it? Um, which video um, do you feel like once you put it out, like which, like in the collection of the retrospectives you have done, yeah. which one do you dislike the most? As like just sh- just like as your format or lack thereof, or you feel like, oh, I. I could have done this differently or done this differently. Oh, sure. Um, I'd, I'd probably say my review of Life Force, and I actually took it down. I, that was really? like my second or third review. It, um, I'd removed it maybe about a year and a half ago. Um, mm-hmm. It was the shortest one, maybe seven. It was like seven minutes 35. And there was barely anything much. It was, I, I mean, I gave it, I mean, it wasn't like the f- review was kind of panned by my followers. It was just something I wasn't happy with. And it was. It was too short. The, the aspect ratios were all screwed up. Um, right. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that informative to what I was, to what I, to what I really wanted. So boof, that went. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple like from season like one to four, maybe there's like most of them I can probably watch, but some I just like, um, I'm no, I think I oh, know I kind of, I kind of messed up there, but it's always, it's just a personal thing. Someone could watch it a review from an earlier one of mine, be totally happy with it. But for me watching it, cause I can see all the, you know, the little problems, you know, the sound error, or maybe I'm talking too quietly or there's, you know, the aspect ratio is wrong or the sound levels completely skew if I, mm-hmm. I think my He-Man, the movie retrospective, like my, I went crazy with the, with the volume, but like the intro and ending montages are so loud, but like, <laughs> you know, my voice is like, very quiet and it was, I was like, yeah yeah it. i was like what were they doing at the time i was like let's have this really loud and fucking look, look amazing but then you think <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> i'm completely like deafening people but yeah some people people loved it and it's you know so but when some some people come along and comment and go ollie your voice is really quiet i'm like yeah i'm sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just going to be really quiet in this conversation after you <laughs> yeah. brought it up. Um, I, I understand what you mean because um, when I was in high school, like, because there was a program that was offered, like, it was like a BOCES program where you can go to a different school during the first half of the day and learn television and film, mm. which I jumped at. And, like, near the end of the year, people, like, I, I, I think I acted somewhere in somebody's movie halfway through the year. By the time the end of the year came, everybody wanted me to act in it. And I'm like, I don't think I'm that good of an actor, nor is my look or voice that appealing. And yet somehow I was still in, like, in everybody's and like I can't watch it. And, and, and same thing with my recent short film. I put it up and I'm just like, it's people liked it. I'm like, I can only see the flaws, like you were saying. That, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm like, I could have done this better. I could have done this better. This could have been tightened up. And you just can't be like, I guess 
he has the creator's like the worst critic of his own stuff. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you are your your own worst critique, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm really bad with that. I, I I have to kind of I watch before I even upload a video. I have to watch it quite a few times, but then I still miss things when it goes up and it's live. I'm like, oh shit, you know. And I've missed <laughs> it's one little audio bit I'm not happy with. All the flow of my voice I feel wasn't entirely correct. Um, so you know, but. You end up nit- if if you if you end up doing that nitpicking your own stuff, you you never get anything finished, right? So, um, but yeah, um, you have to sort of let go of it and just move on. Yeah, um, convert uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum. Which review that you've done thus far that you think you're the most proud of? Most proud of, um, despite the fact that like we were just saying that like oh sure this, sure, sure, this sure. thing's wrong and probably. <laughs> Everything. I, mean, I like, could oh. I could turn around and say, "Oh, my most popular review is the one I'm most proud of," but it's I'd probably say, I think Blade Runner maybe or Superman the movie. I I think I'm most happy with. It's usually with the edits, you know, with the intro and ending. I mean, I've got if I've discussed everything I've wanted to say, and everyone's kind of agreed with me, or if I disagreed, you know, it's fine. But if if it just nails. The feed, if the feedback is you know consistently good and I know I'm happy with it and I know I made the right decision with what I say, then I'm okay. Right, I'm happy with it. But I think Blade Runner and possibly Superman the movie are my favourites. I mean, some actually people uh, saying because everyone it's nice every every time I put a new one out, someone mm-hmm. goes, "This is your best review yet." I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, okay, that's nice. Thank you. But Back to the Future is some people saying it's one of my one of my best. I'm like, I thought it was good. I mean, I I think because it it caused me a lot of problems to get it finished. So I'm not like, I'm not like it's my best. So, but usually when you put under quite a lot of stress, you end up producing some of your best stuff, but right. um, I don't think it is my best, but I'm it's not saying I don't like it. I do like it, but mm-hmm. I think come my, I think maybe, yeah, Blade Runner is probably, probably the all Superman, probably my favorite reviews. I had a feeling you were going to say Superman move. <laughs> I don't be, know, man. I, like, I'm not like, sure, but I kind of got a feeling for that. <laughs> well, yeah, if it wasn't, you know, like my favorite film, and it's not like my favorite review, that'd be quite strange. But yeah, yeah. but um, like, like if you just like if you said like uh like License to Kill, I've been like, huh, all right, did not see that one coming. <laughs> well, actually, I'm still actually quite happy with those ones. Actually, I think with License to Kill and Living Daylights. I was actually, re- yeah, I, 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 I can actually still go back and see bits of those and being, oh yeah, that's actually pretty good. But I don't obviously just blow my own trumpet there. But um, but yeah. I, I do need to do more James Bond films actually. Um, but MGM are quite difficult with copyright stuff. Right. Yeah. Not very. Uh, they don't communicate a lot. A lot. So <laughs> no. But um, um, so I, I like I get from your video that you I think it was you and Duncan did like the Spectre trailer review. I guess both of you guys are pumped for the next Bond. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, certainly Duncan because he's obsessed obsessed with james bond um but yeah i it's the weird thing is once i put that that video up uh, a lot of people came out and said oh the film doesn't look good i'm not that excited for it then like the photography and i was like what are you mad yeah so you can't please everyone and um but yeah that's going to be a big film i think it's gonna be huge and i i think it's going to harken back to more of the classic james bond films you know you've got but you can see from the trailer, you know, that you know, Blofeld, also it is Blofeld. It's, you know, if it's not Blofeld, that's a big mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can see in a quick shot, he's got this kind of big hideout, you know, of all these computer screens behind him. So it's going to be the maybe like the classic kind of big 
you know, big blockbuster Bond film that we've been wa- waiting for the last mm-hmm. couple of years, you know. Um, what was it? Uh, was, was John Barry the, like, the series run pro- uh, production designer for the James Bond movies? John Barry, no, he was the composer. Oh, composer, I always... Yeah, you're probably, uh, Peter Lamont is probably Peter the biggest... Well, the most kind of fun, the most uh, frequently used, I think. Right. Uh, 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 things crossed right there. Sorry, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Right, right. uh, uh, moving on. Um, what made you decide to do Let's Plays along with your workload for your regular reviews? Um, well, I, I thought to myself, because I'm obviously reviewing video games in you know small capacity within my retrospectives, I thought to myself, why don't I just kind of have a separate channel and play, uh, do Let's Plays on movie licensed games? So the games I've kind of shown you in some of the reviews, I'll play. play all, mm. I'll try and play all the way through because I don't like just to do a quick plug it in and play and not get anywhere, you know. But I've done a few of those. <laughs> I've done like, right. like, maybe, a, maybe like five where I've just gone, right, I'm giving up. This game sucks, you know. Like, <laughs> like Time Cop on the Super Nintendo. Christ, that was awful. Um, but. Um, but yeah, and, and Richard, you know, who takes part in some of the commentaries as well, uh, he's, you know, he loves video games. I thought, well, just to get him in as well and play some with me would be a good laugh. And, um, you know, me, me and Richard always have a good rapport, so we can just talk, you know, about video games or talk a lot of crap, you know, over a, a Let's Play, and people got the opportunity to hear us talk and watch, hopefully, see us complete a game. <laughs> so, uh, but it always went with retro stuff. You know, I tried not to do kind of more modern stuff, but now I've kind of started doing slightly more modern games because i got obviously got a new xbox one did a bit of batman i reviewed that and resident evil the remake mm-hmm. did that as well yeah. so i try I've got, I've got the options to do new stuff but i like doing old games um going off like you're saying about the batman uh, the arkham knight review do you think rocksteady will like do another arkham origins game or do you think they'll just go to another dc character and decide to do their own series i think they will go to a different character I don't see them doing another Batman. I think they've probably, you know, the Batman games are the only video games I think they've produced. They may have done some other kind of games in smaller form, but um, Batman is, you know, imagine kind of working on those games. You've worked on them for like six years or more. You know, you'd probably be wanting to try something different. And I think now is the right time for them to jump ship. And um, even though the game's amazing, it's not like they deserve to jump ship, but it's like, um, I think seeing them tackle another superhero would be quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, like, at least with the end of Arkham Knight, it, it definitely seems like finality was like the theme that they went through for that entire game. And it seems like either, either do a Green Arrow game or a Superman game, or do a proper Superman game and not Superman N64 where you're just <laughs> flying through rings, pick up a car and just <laughs> yeah. knock it down. That's all we're going to do. That's the entire game that you just probably spent 50 bucks on. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm really kind of begging and pleading, you know, that that, they, that someone will make a decent Superman game. But because he's a character that's so difficult to put in a video yeah. game form because he's virtually indestructible. So and, unless they have all the villains with like kryptonite powered ray guns and you can weaken him, you know, and that'll be it. Then, then right. you can do it, you know, I suppose. What was it like? I was thinking about that once Arkham Knight was released. I was like, like one thing you do is probably like first, like if it was say they want to do a trilogy game, like first game, Brainiac, Covers the world like with like with kryptonite or something like that, and yeah. he unleashes forces. Second game, he goes off world. He deals with other space creatures and people that are up to his standard of fighting. Oh yeah, and well maybe like the second game, he goes to, like the Phantom Zone. He's trapped in there or something like that. You know, 
that will split the crowd of people's uh, the interpretation of what the Phantom Zone will be. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, would it be the one from Smallville, or would it be I don't know something like from Supergirl the movie, <laughs> this weird kind of barren wasteland? I don't know. Or just trapped in a piece of glass. Who knows? <laughs> just like okay. DLC is just literally him in the piece of glass. That's the only thing you <laughs> see. That's all. That's all you get. Yeah. You just spent fifteen bucks for this DLC for the season pass. That here you go. We're gonna disappoint <laughs> you some more. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, what is the best thing somebody's ever said about your work? Um, that I should be getting paid to do this professionally, <laughs> which I'm not. Which I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I usually when they they watch one video and they say they've watched all of them over a weekend, that's that's when I know I've kind of been I, I've done a good job. Um, mm-hmm. If it's 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 more and more difficult nowadays, I think, for people to kind of keep their attention with right. things. I think people have kind of automatically got ADD and I just can't watch it for more than two minutes. Go, no, this is boring. Turn it off. Right. Um, that's why if you, you know, if you go on YouTube and all the big YouTubers, generally their reviews are three or four minutes long. They're all kind of vlog, bite-sized information firing at you with jump cuts to hide their fluffed dialogue, most probably. Um, right. But having retaining someone's attention for, say, 20 minutes... And then they went, oh, let's go to the next review. That's yeah. 20 minutes. Next one's 25 minutes. And then the whole weekend is gone. I've ruined their weekend. Because <laughs> they've been watching too much YouTube. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's really kind of comforting and uh, rewarding to hear. Which I can testify saying I have done that. It's like, <laughs> like, wake up like, oh, like my first is, like discovered your work. And it's like, oh, one video, next video. And I'm like, I, I looked to my left, like the sun was up. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but I, I get. I guess I've been here, like oh, like fifteen text messages. Oh, that's not that's not a good sign. <laughs> Mate, um, if I leave my phone off for two hours just to do a commentary, I've got fifty emails. You know, it's, it's like oh god, you know. But yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's like like your like it's like your mom like you turn up, like you don't answer your mom's like text or comments like they just immediately assume you're dead or something like that. Like I'm like um. On the other side, what is the worst thing somebody's ever said about your work? Um, oh god, uh, worst. If you thing. want to talk about it, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. Absolutely fine. I, I generally, I will keep. You know, I if someone says really something, something really horrible, like insulting to me or to someone, a friend of mine, I would just boof gone. They're they're banned. You mm. know, but if it's like constructive with it, it's fine. I'll leave. You know, I'll let them talk. Whatever, say whatever. Um, I think. Probably, uh, oh god! Usually, most complaints would be, or say on the negative side, would be: "This is too long. Why is there, you know, a, th- a two-minute trailer at the beginning? Where's the review? This isn't really a review, is it? You know, it's like, well, it is. You're just you're just <laughs> commenting after watching it for two minutes, you know. So, it's generally people with short attention spans, right. and they want something straight away, and they just ca- they can't fathom or they can't compute." That it's like you've got this trailer, you've got this, you know, you know, documentary thing, you know, and a trailer at the end as well. So you've got this, you know, all this, this giant package of information thrown at you, but they just want something shrink down for two minutes and go, this is a review. Um, right. So that's generally the, the, uh, the most common complaint. But sometimes it's generally something silly like you you pronounce that bloke's names that, that bloke's name wrong. You know, you've got you know the wrong date. You've got uh, you, you didn't mention this person. You know, or some people want me to list off their entire IMDb list, 
you know, for what other films they've been in. I'm like, well, sorry, <laughs> I don't have the time, you know. Like, I got people on this side complaining it's too long. Now you want, and there's people on this side saying, I want ev- everything under the sun about this movie yeah. in here, so you can't win at that point. Exactly. You can never win. <laughs> um, um, looking from, starting from where you were with the Superman 4 to Back to the Future uh, uh, retrospective, where do you think you improved the most? Um, definitely with, um, the content in terms of what I talk about, mm-hmm. I think there's, it's, it's far more, I, I, I'm, I've become more, uh, creative with what I edit into, uh, the, re- the reviews when I saw, so when I do the voiceover. So there's enough information there to satisfy most people. Mm-hmm. So let's say eight out of 10 people, um, Obviously, my the voiceover has, has certainly improved, um, and just the general kind of the pacing of a of a video as well. You know, I don't kind of dwell too much on one bit. It's always, I think, I've been quite um, generous with each time in each each area of the review. So you've got the video game, music, special effects. There's always try and get enough in there. Some bits I kind of miss out, you know, a little right. bit, but. So, example, the Back to the Future one. I didn't mention the the, the recent game they did in 2010. Is it the Tale Tell oh, game or is that, that Tell Tell? But yeah. like, I know the one, like the point and click. Yeah, that's game right. That, yeah, I, which is what, which is a lot of fun. Exactly. I mean, I I never actually played it. So I, I read the reviews. It looked great. I didn't have a PS3. I think it came out on the PS3 and the PC. Yeah. Um. So an Xbox 360. So I didn't get didn't get a chance to play it. Mm. Um. I knew in the back of my mind. I should have put that in there, but I didn't. And the people went, oh, my God, you forgot to mention that. Well, I'm going, well okay, look, I'll mention it in part two. Don't worry. Don't worry. It will be mentioned. <laughs> um, but in the day, I could argue, well, the game came out in 2010. The movies is from 1985. So everything in 1985 I'm discussing, but I could use that as an argument, but I didn't. So I was like, right. yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, don't feel too bad. I did not play the game myself. I just watched the playthrough on on YouTube. So don't feel too bad about that. The only reason I know that is because I was like, I'm like, oh, let me watch the first video. I'm like, it's six hours long. The first episode. I'm like, all right, let's see how long I can last with this. And it's actually a pretty entertaining game. To, like, it, like it is a little slow. It seems like a little padding at times, but every video game has that. Oh, sure. um, but it's. You know, we, I think we need more point and click adventures. I think they all kind of died out for for years, and now they've come back again in some small form or another. Well, it seems like a lot, a lot of people have gotten sick of the annual Call of Duty, Call of Duty release that it's starting to run dry, and hopefully it kind of fizzles out completely because I feel like there should be something else more creative to be taking place as the top of the charts with the most exposure. Exactly. I mean, that will hopefully force, you know, Activision, whatever, to kind of be a bit more creative with the license instead of just kind of regurgitating the same game over and over again. But mm-hmm. I think there's only so much you can do with a first-person shooter, and there's so many of them. Yeah. I mean, look at um, um, Alien Isolation, for example. It's a first-person game, but yet that is such a creative endeavor because you're, you're you're in the disadvantage for almost 90% of the game until you get bigger firepower. And even still you're at a disadvantage, whether it be through the androids or the creature itself. Exactly. Um, is there an area that you still feel like you can improve on from this point? Um, this point, I think I would like to have more kind of video graphics within the video, like um, 
for example, you know, when you've got like an actor, I mentioned an actor and it would come up saying, you know, their, their name and the actor's name, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like when you watch a doc, you know, a, like a documentary and it's got interviews with the actors that have their name and stuff. Just kind right. of little polishings to sort of finish off the review, make it look, a, look, a, make it look a bit more professional, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's always kind of there's always room for improvement. I'll never say this is this is is as far I'm gonna as I'm gonna go with quality. There's always gonna they'll, they'll they'll probably get longer and longer and longer. Maybe in a year I'll do one that's an hour long, you know. Oh, but goodness. but that will be oh, that will be stressful and <laughs> yeah, you know, time consuming. It'll take forever to upload, but you oh, know, oh, for sure. Um, and it'll probably get a copyright claim within the space of a week, and I'll lose all revenue and hard work I put into it basically so I don't know <laughs> um, with that what you were saying about the copyright uh, claim what was the most serious copyright flag that you have received doing these retrospectives oh oh I got a I, I got a copyright strike on Supergirl retrospective in 2013 that crippled mm-hmm. my channel so to only 15 minute per upload so all my commentaries went to my let's play channel and that's where a lot of them kind of the earlier ones are Right. Uh, where we didn't really, we just me and Richard were just kind of like messing around when we did those. So when we get comments on them now, I I don't blame people people for being, you know, a little bit like, can you guys take this a bit seriously? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I mean, that's like you and your friend having fun with the movie. That's like that's the best part of like watching movies while you're home with your friends is like making fun of it. Like last night, my, my friend Dakota was over and we we're watching Mission Impossible Two because I want to show him the whole series and we'll do podcasts in each movie. Sure, and the the overacting of Dewey Scott and just like how John Woo with the snap zoom to the face and the so many doves and I know, dove over cracking though, up it? the entire time. I mean, <laughs> like an hour after the movie's over, we're still making faces <laughs> based upon it. And it's like, that, that's, that's the fun of having that and having that to be entertaining for people. But that shouldn't be an issue. Like take this serious guys. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I mean that, yeah. I mean, so I got a copyright strike for that. That kind of took six months to disappear. And then I got a copyright strike six months ago on my on Her Majesty's Secret Service review. Now this came about because, which I believe anyway, um, there was that Bond James Bond fan fiction cartoon produced by the guy who produced a Power Rangers remake kind of trailer, oh. um, and he produced Dread. Um, I can't remember his can't remember his bloody name, but anyway, he, the day he released it, it got. Uh, taken down by MGM for you know uh, copyright of intellectual property, and basically MGM that night or that day went after every James Bond kind of related video on YouTube, and because I disputed their claim like maybe twenty days earlier, they just basically went through the entire log of all these disputes on YouTube, went deny, 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 and because I disputed their already existing claim, they just whacked me with a, with a strike, and I was like. Oh my god! You know this is, can't be happening. Um, so it didn't cripple my channel. It didn't restrict me with uploads for some reason. It kind of it took away something else, which I can't remember. But I basically disputed it again, and it, they had fourteen days to respond, which they didn't. So, so they gave me fourteen days of unnecessary stress, and that's all cleaned up now. That's the thing with studios. It, 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 it's it's not them particularly who are in you know, who are doing this. It's their kind of lackeys who they've employed or third party companies that right. do it because they make a bit of the revenue. So for example, you know, Warner brothers would hire another company to deal with all their 
uh, copyright uh, management system. So that company would upload the film to the system for it to be ID tagged. Uh, if you, you know, it's also to create revenue off other people who've uploaded the material. Mm-hmm. This this third party company is, are the ones we. Well, these third party companies are the ones you deal with when it comes to a dispute. So they they, they don't want you. They don't want to let the claim. Uh, let, they, they don't want to let the video go because they're going to lose a percentage of that revenue. Mm-hmm. They want it themselves. They, they, they're going to be sharing it with Warner Brothers or MGM. But I had to go out my way to get, you know, contacts with the studios directly, which isn't, which is not easy. And I'd to imagine get, to get through to that individual who controls all that and says yes or no to videos if it goes to them. You know, if they have to decide, does this person get a copyright strike, strike or should we cut, shut down this channel? Um, so I've got maybe a handful of people who I can now communicate with if something happens. But MGM is one company who I cannot, for the life of me, get hold of. But that's what's kind of restricting me. I can't. I want to do James Bond films. I, want to, I was going to do a Canon Films Month, but MGM own their you know, vast catalogue of movies. Right. So it kind of puts me in a situation. I could do it anyway, and that I, the video may not get claimed. Or does get claimed, I dispute it, and they don't do anything about it, and it goes back to me. So it's just, do I want the unnecessary, do I want the extra stress? It's like, I don't really need it, you know? Right. I mean, I can, I can understand that, and how, like, you, Duncan and Richard, have mentioned throughout several commentaries that you guys all enjoy canon films, so it makes sense that you'd want to do that, and it just just kind of sucks that yeah, you have to deal with MGM and their, and I, like, their situation when it comes to the copyright infringement. I mean, it's wonder. Like, I wonder if it's going to get to the point where they're just going to like, "Excuse me, are you uploading your ears? Like, no, just smash your computer. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. It reminds me of that. Uh, did you see uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Oh yes. You know when like um, Knights comes to the door and, and Scott's uh, roommate answers him and Michael Sarah jumps out the window in the background. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that situation. <laughs> um. You mentioned this a little bit before, like, why did you stop using the Cisco and Ebert uh, reviews in um, their reviews in your retrospectives? Um, well, basically, people didn't like them. They just space. They, I mean, there were some reviews where they didn't review the film, so I didn't use it anyway. Because mm-hmm. my idea from the beginning was to, um, for my my original structure, was to include everything related to that movie mm-hmm. I could find. So if there was a review publicized, you know, video form, I'd grab it, put it in a video. And so you've got that there. So you wouldn't have to go searching for it somewhere else. It was already within my kind of retrospective. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of used, I maybe, maybe used maybe for like 12 or more videos. I really cannot remember, but I stopped using them basically down to mostly my kind of my British followers were like, Oh yeah, I don't like these guys. They're dark, <laughs> you know. Because what would happen is, you know, they'd say they review a film and Siskel and Liebert didn't like it. But mm-hmm. you know, the people watching it love the film, so they got upset. It's like, well, you just have to you have to remember back in what, nineteen ninety one, this film wasn't lauded over as some classic. It was just reviewed by two a bunch of you know, two middle aged men, thought it was rubbish, 
But because you've watched it as a kid and you've grown up with it, you've got this, you know, fondness for it. You know, you may, you may see something in there in the movie that they didn't. Um, but you have to kind of see that the movie, you know, which you may regard as a cult classic at the time was just laughed at or just forgotten about because it was just kind of schlock. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that would be a kind of an interesting kind of balance to see, you know, if I love the film, but they thought it was a turkey, you know, so it's, I thought it was, I thought it'd be ideal to show that, but people just didn't like it. So I kind of stopped and I still get comments today go, why are you still using Cisco Amoeba? I'm like, dude, <laughs> I, I haven't done it for two years. Come on, keep up with the times, mate. I, which I can understand the feelings towards them. I mean, as critics, I mean, Ebert and Cisco have been widely regarded as two of the most important figures in criticism, film criticism. And like, I kind of felt like, which I did like growing up with movies, like as like one of the things like I'd ask my parents how they felt about a movie. And then like, I'd end up looking like whatever the, their show would be on. I find out what they felt about it. And but then I heard of a story that after Friday the 13th came out, I think at which one of them published the address of Betsy Palmer and just like direct your hate mail towards her oh because they didn't, they didn't enjoy the movie that much. And, and then their feelings on the slasher genre in general was like, like this is just sexist, misogynistic, and should not should be taken out of theaters right now, whether it be Maniac or the zillion Friday knockoffs of the Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's like, I understand the criticism for them, and I understand where your uh, fans are coming from with that. Um, what was it? Oh, if YouTube goes the way that they want no reviews whatsoever and being incredibly serious about anybody uh, uploading copyright content, is there a backup plan? Like whether put those stuff on your site in general or doing something else? Um, well, I always, you know, say to myself, you know, I can't do this forever. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a time when I've got to stop. Um, I, you know, YouTube will always be around in any shape or form. Um, right. uh, copyright stuff. They can't put the foot down and say no more copyright stuff because it's by law, it's an American website. So they have to follow the rules and the laws set by, you know, the laws of fair use, uh, that we yes. protects the press and journalists. Um, so that, I don't think that would happen. I, I think it may get a little bit more, it may get more restrictive as more companies kind of, you know, mostly third party companies getting, you know, claiming whatever they, they think they own it, but they don't. So you, you can claim stuff on YouTube so easily. So it appears mm-hmm. I've got one company, nine companies claiming one audio track on my Batman and Robin review. And the track they've claimed has nothing to do with the review. Um, so I was fuming, um, but I emailed like YouTube and they were like, he's, he's, here are the email addresses of these people. So now if you email YouTube, they will give you the email address of that claimant. So it's not like smoking. It's not like they're hiding behind. They can't hide these people, but you can get right. hold of them. But one of the emails was 20th Century Fox. I'm like, Fox don't own Batman and Robin. You know? <laughs> so, but this audio track had obviously had nothing to do with it. So that should kind of be resolved soon anyway. But the backup plan would be, you know, it would say, let's say YouTube disappeared tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably, I'd probably just pay like the yearly fee for uh, Vimeo and, or is it called Vimeo or whatever? I think it's called. And that, yeah, it's Vimeo. Yeah, Vimeo. Yeah, um, and just upload videos on there and put it on 
put it on there. Because you, obviously the quality is a bit better, yes. but you've got to pay for it. Though. Why pay for a service which is you don't need to pay for, you know? But that would be the only thing I could probably do. But, you know, I, I said to myself, this year, hopefully, things will kind of take off in a certain certain way, which I can kind of, you know, do this for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of working for peanuts, as it were. Um, right. So I, I have to be realistic. It's my fault. It's not like I'm blaming people. You know, people should, you know, watch my videos with the ads on or whatever. You know, um, it's about I'm 32 and I need mm-hmm. to think to the future and think, okay, I need to find something that's going to give me uh, enough money to sort of live comfortably to do what I want to do. Um, so, you know, next year, hopefully, I, I thought to myself, well, the videos I've produced, hopefully someone will notice it, like in the industry and go, okay, this guy's, we can see got a lot of talent there. Let's kind of take advantage of that. Let's right. give him a job. Let's do this. Because I, I always wanted to make trailers. I always wanted to do that. Editing a whole movie would be great and a great challenge, but I like making a trailer. I like kind mm. of creating excitement really quickly, you know, and, um, but reviewing stuff is always kind of secondary thing. It's always been, wasn't something I was desperately seeking to do. Um, but I, it was just so nice that people kind of found, you know, what I had to say very interesting. Right. Um, and just giving people kind of a different, it gives giving people my own opinion on a movie and kind of changing their opinion maybe, or making them see it in a new light. Um, mm. But say next year, I, I may have stopped all of this YouTube stuff. I may have just moved on, you know, but as, as I said, you know, you can't do it forever. You know, I won't be here when I'm 50 going next week is a retrospective on <laughs> uh, a redux review of Superman four again. You know? <laughs> so it would be, no, no, it wouldn't be that. I remember when I first reviewed this. (laughs) Back in my day. (laughs) Um, Which that would be awesome. Like if you end up like editing trailers for big studios as long, like I think I'm thinking of movies like now, like the two amazing Spider-Man trailers, (laughs) both of them, like let's cut all the deleted scenes into a trailer that we'll play (laughs) in none of the theaters, or we're going to show the Rhino being a big thing. Yet he's a bookended villain for (laughs) most of the movie. Let's see how we can fuck with our audience. Let's check every (laughs) fan to show all the deleted scenes, but it's not in the film. (laughs) You know, (laughs) It just um, makes you think like that's some Sony executives like, you know what, let's mess with them a little bit. We have there's nothing that could ever go wrong with our practices throughout the entire year. Like like North Korea, who are they? They have nothing to do with the interview. <laughs> We're fine. Um what movies uh do you still want to do? Like without giving like like if you want to keep them a secret, that's up to you. Is no, there no, a certain fine. movie that you still want to do that you haven't done yet? Um well, I, I need to get Star Wars and New Hope and Empire Strikes Back done. They mm. will be done at the end of the year in time for the new Star Wars film. Um, and also we'll be doing commentaries on the dreaded prequels. I'm not doing them in retrospective form. I'm not spending a week and a half with those films, but I'll just let Richard and Duncan just destroy them with me. Um, <laughs> let me think. Uh, obviously, as I said, I want to do more James Bond films. You know, there's... I try to think of It's always kind of... With some of the films I've reviewed, as you said earlier about, I've reviewed like the third one in a series. Right. I need to go back and do one and two. So I need to mm-hmm. do like Indiana Jones, Raiders of Lost, Raiders of Lost Ark, the Tem- uh, 
Last Crusade, I've done Temple of Doom. Uh, lethal Weapon films. More Die Hard films I need to do. Rocky. It's, like, it's some of the obvious ones I've not done because it's down usually down to they've been talked to to death. You know, right. everyone's talked about it. You know, and I thought when people asked me to, to do Blade Runner, I thought, wait a minute, this film's been discussed heavily. It's got, a, you know, a three hour whatever documentary, you know, and you go on YouTube, but only a couple of people have actually reviewed it extensively and i thought that's the strange thing is you know that's the thing i think oh maybe everyone's reviewed terminator 2 but only a couple of people had you know <laughs> and i was like why is that you know you, you think mentally okay this film's been discussed to death because it is so popular right um but it hadn't so i was like you know okay well i'll do it anyway but mm. i need to do alien and aliens and alien 3 i don't think i'll do resurrection but, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect <laughs> you to. I mean, like, I don't think you'd be able, like that in the prequels. I'd be like, we were supposed to do that, but uh, something happened. You just disappear in the middle of the night, <laughs> yeah, yeah. shunning his responsibility for that. That's the thing because people ask me for you know aliens, and I'm like, yeah, I, w- I will do it, but there is a commentary you can listen to. I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want you know a retrospective. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, you got to wait <laughs> then. Um, with it's funny that you say that because like that's how I have my list of questions to my left here. It's like, what made you decide to do commentaries with Richard and Duncan? Um, the first one we did was Robocop. Me and Richard did that, um, and it was I think no, because I'd done a commentary on on Superman the movie with Geekvolution, Captain right. Logan guy, very lovely guy. Um, Love he, his work. Yeah, he's you know he's a, he has a great. He's a very intelligent man, and he's you know he can talk to death about a film story where I was com- like the opposite to him, you know, to to a certain degree. Because when we talk, it's always about I'm more the technical side; he's more the kind of a, about the story and its narrative. Um, so when I'm doing a commentary with him, because I've never done one before, it gave me the sort of confidence to say I can do this. I can talk for two hours straight, and you know, not kind of fall asleep or get bored or wander <laughs> off, you know? And uh, so I said, so I said to Richard, let's do Robocop because Richard loves that film. He knows it in and out. I, I knew, I knew about it quite a lot. So that was it. We did one. Then we put it up. Feedback was amazing. Now more people kind of dislike it <laughs> than like it. Now uh, it's kind of, a lot of people kind of think in the, cause it's partially my fault. Um, I just didn't, I actually, no, it, actually, no, it wasn't my fault at all. <laughs> These people are just <laughs> stupid. They basically, what they do, they put in Robocop into YouTube, uh, advanced search, long video. Boof, mine comes up. Oh, this must be the entire film I can watch. Click on it. Two guys talking about Robocop and no video. They're like, what? I want to see the movie. It's like, why should I break the law? Because you too cheap to go buy a movie. Um, that was kind of the thing we kind of experienced in, at the beginning. So every week we do a commentary. Feedback was good. You know, we kind of went just went with it, and it came like a weekly thing. Um, and then Duncan came into the mix just kind of randomly because it was he'd 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 subscribed to Geekvolution for a while, mm-hmm. and he'd often listen to commentaries while he's kind of at the gym. You know, it's always good to have as background material. I think a lot of people right. listen to my commentaries as they're studying. Or they you know, something at work and they're just so bored with their job, you know, they just listen to a commentary while they do it. Um, so Duncan had messaged me on my Facebook group and sort of said, hey, you know, I worked on Skyfall. You know, I live in the local area. Do you want to, you know, hang out sometime and sort of, you know, see if you want to do a commentary? And um, we went for a drink down my local pub. 
had a chat. We got on, you know, perfectly. You know, it's, it's like, you know, he's now kind of one of my best friends. You know, I've only known him for like two years. Right. It wasn't like I'd known him since I was a kid. Richard, I've known since I started at Cineworld. So I've known Richard for, uh, what was it? Must be about 11 years. Um, and oh, wow. Duncan, you know, I've only known, known for a short space of time. But we kind of became really close friends um, because he loves Superman films. He could talk to death about Superman for, you know, it's it, we both like the same schlocky films as well. And the silly little nuances in the films, like obviously like Superman four. And um, so, yeah, we did Skyfall, you know, that went that went well, you know, Duncan has a good voice. He's been him being an actor as well. So he, what Doug is really good at is voices. You know, he can do any, you know, you say a character or an actor and he'd, you know, even if he's not not done it before, he'd have a bloody good try at it, and it'll be perfect sometimes. And he's Ian McKellen always gets me in stitches. I <laughs> I burst with tears because we be just you know he doesn't do it you know as a, you know only for the commentaries. Oh no, he'll do it when we're in the garden having a few beers. He'll start doing voices and just kidding me. Just like stop making stop doing that. You're making me laugh too much. And um, he'll just do it down the you know do it all the time. So that was. That was really hand, handy for me to have an extra person because Richard's Richard's a busy guy with his job, you know, um, so he's not always available. And Duncan's always kind of had a little bit more free time, but it does mm-hmm. a little balance there because Duncan's got the sort of ex- industry experience where Richard's kind of, you know, he's he's so creative with what he says. Sometimes it makes it kind of, you know, he can make uh, he can do a perfect. Um, description of how he feels about a movie, but make it sound so much more interesting than instead of saying, I like this film, he can make it, you know, he can, he's so creative with words. Um, So you've got that, I've got that great balance and hopefully, you know, those guys will be free to do more, you know, in the next year or two. But obviously, as I say, I won't always be around. They won't always be around. So I've got to take advantage of their availability as much as possible. Of course. Um, It's, Funny that you mentioned um, two things. One is like I listen to a lot of your commentaries while my work because my first job is like working in a warehouse and it's rather robotic where I'm just like doing the same thing over and over. Oh, sure. So I really don't have to pay too much attention to it. And yet I'm still praised for it. Don't know how. <laughs> and I'm listening to your stuff and I have my headphones in. And the, when the three of you guys or whenever you who, whoever's a um, guest on the commentary I'm usually I'm laughing so hard that then people's like just quiet throughout the warehouse and you see hear my loud boasts laughing just look like there's a ginger at the end of the aisle just laughing really maniacally to himself. It's, it's starting to creep out the rest of the workers. Is that guy and, insane? <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the the Spider Man uh, the uh, the Spider Man TV series like the pilot that you guys did oh, the yeah, yeah, video yeah. commentary. <laughs> Like I may have mentioned this on Twitter before that I watched it with my girlfriend and when Richard and Duncan started doing the really over the top New York accent, which we do have an accent, I, I understand that you guys is like doing like your Andrew Dice Clay like impressions like over here, over there, oh and I'm like tears are rolling down my cheeks and I'm like laughing because like go put your science over here and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's got the- detective terminator in here. <laughs> And that my girlfriend and I have gone to the point that like we will text each other just like what they've said in that commentary. And that's amazing. They're like, and they're like, "Oh, you dirty shitter!" That's like that's <laughs> yeah. become like a part like a daily conversation. One of us will drop that. <laughs> and um, that's the thing when you get Richard and Duncan together, they it's it's hard for me to keep control sometimes because you see you can clearly see I'm trying to keep like. 
focus on the movie for a little bit and then let them go crazy. Because when you get them together, it's like throwing a match on gasoline. It's just literally, they just go, ah, just go mad with, with impressions or just like take, they take a joke so far and it becomes something else, you know. Uh, so some, the people who are familiar with what we do, they love it. But for right. newcomers sometimes, it's like, it's too many jokes. I want something serious. I'm like, dude, if you want something dry and cold, Go listen to the official commentary to the film <laughs> and see if that see, see if you'll be awake in ten minutes. I don't know, um, but yeah, it's it's that was great that you know you really enjoyed the Spider Man thing. We are going to do hopefully a new one uh, this Monday, but we we got to try and decide what it's going to be the, the video special. I mean, I think the last Spider Man one we watched, the Dragon's Challenge, wasn't. <laughs> wasn't a very good film you know well i think that's part of the charm of it it's just oh, like it what, is, it we, is, but... we could make as much more entertaining than it is like the cats in america one like that's a terrible movie but watching them make fun of the now italian cat uh red skull <laughs> and his putty face is yeah. hilarious <laughs> um what, what was it um but like you're saying like like just messing around and doing impressions and stuff like that like uh yesterday another coworker and I had to go to another building to look up like the records for this part that had to be sent because the company requested it. And both of us are just doing walking impressions back and forth the entire time. <laughs> like I found 1992 over here, but 2008 is over here. What's going on? And like, that thing that's just film fans in general that like you just appreciate that. And just there, doing walking impressions of all. Is, there must oh, be some jokes that go over straight over your head because you know, me, obviously us being, you know, from England, there's always going to be, like sort of culture clash because of like, we'll do jokes based on like UK television. If you haven't seen it, right. not my audience, you know, the, if, if I do my check YouTube, the analytics, you know, the, the biggest number of my audience is America. Um, obviously, you know, England is a, is a huge number as well, but because right. America's so bloody big, uh, yeah. there's, there's more opportunity <laughs> to be stuff to be seen. Um, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of jokes just go straight over their head because I don't understand what we're taking the piss out of. But they probably still find it funny anyway because Duncan's doing it in a funny accent, you know? Um, like, what was it? Like, whenever you find an actor and you say, I think it's like you say, Powland version of an, an actor, which I never understood. I assume it's like a lookalike. Or... Oh, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, basically a cheap lookalike. So, like, you know, you get, <laughs> was it a 99 cent store over there or like a dollar store? So yeah. we call it a pound land or like pound shop, you know, pound saver, um, you know, so it's like they're a cheap alternative, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm just, now I'm just thinking back of all the jokes. Like, Oh, that makes more sense. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, now like, this is more like the questions I have now are just more like specific, like to like, I kind of break it up to like a group right now. Um, what was it like to interview uh, Ken Thorne, the composer of Superman 2, for those who are listening? Oh, right. God blimey. That was in um, 2002, I think. Because I'd emailed... Because Ken Thorne had never been interviewed before. He'd never discussed Superman 2 and 3. Really? Never. As far as I'm aware. I've, I've collected loads of like uh, published magazines from... 80, 1980, 81 to 83 of kind of like film related stuff. Ken film was never mentioned. Hmm. Um, so I thought to myself, how am I going to get hold of this guy? You know, how am I going to, because I, I always liked the music, you know, for, for two and three, um, you know, some fans kind of hated it. It sounded like a, people refer to it as a marching band, which kind of Ken Thorne was quite upset about, upset about. And, you know, because it wasn't fair on him because the LPs weren't mixed up, weren't mixed correctly. Mm. And in the films, um, they actually had the left and right channels on the wrong side when they mixed it. 
So that's completely off as well. Um, so it was all, you know, it's all a bit of a dodgy kind of sound mix at the time. So I managed to get hold of his agent. I, I, I got it for a record label, I think. And mm. I fired an email to his agent. He obviously passed it on to Ken the following morning. Boom. Hi, Oliver. Let's talk about Superman. You know, I'm more than happy to answer your questions. I didn't realize that Ken was from, you know, born around where I, where I live, you know. Right. So that made it kind of you know, interesting kind of, uh, you know, it felt, it felt like a, such a small world at that point because, he, you know, he studied in Cambridge. He lived in Ely, which is not far from me. Um, so, you know, we, you know, obviously did an interview. It was, like, it was, it was all email based. Um, then he said to me, I'm coming to come to Cambridge uh, this summer. Uh, do you want to meet up? And uh, I was like, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. And then I met my, my friend Tim came along. Tim um, did the uh, Dark Man and Gremlins 2 commentaries recently. Uh, Tim right. is like a walking encyclopedia of film knowledge. He can probably outdo me. <laughs> with, with oh, stuff. Wow. This guy, he knows everything so well technically. And he's a filmmaker himself. He's won awards. So, you know, he's, you know, he's a, a talented guy, which, you know, he's still trying to make, make his big break. But he will be actually shooting... Um, I'm doing the Superman for locations video in the coming months. So he's going to be shooting that for me. Um, That's awesome. He, yeah, he he joined me uh, with Ken uh, for a, for a pint in you know my in a pub in Cambridge, and we had a good chat because Ken was what it must have been late seventies at that point, maybe early. No, I think it was late seventies. But he felt like someone who was fifty years old. He was full of energy, very chatty, thoroughly British, and there with his old friend from school. Who had no kind of like wasn't didn't work in the industry, just a friend of his. Um, and yeah, he you know chatted for ages, you know, you know, and once that once that was done, I emailed uh, Michael Matasino, who produced, um, who worked on the Star Wars soundtracks, the re releases. He still does soundtracks to this day. He mm-hmm. did the first Alien documentary for the DVD, uh, the early at the first kind of edition they did. Um, so he's done also done documentaries of stuff on Laserdisc. So he's you know, he's a fantastic film historian and restorer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I emailed him and he was interested. He got the ball rolling. I think everything kind of really came together when Superman Returns was coming out because it basically because War and and the Superman Two Donica because that kind of freed up a lot of the legal problems surrounding these films and the soul kinds. And once they shipped all the stuff over from the UK to America, all the you know, the sound files, the 35 mil, you know, footage, the scores are in there. And that, you know, it made it easier for them to restore, find it's all catalogued, done. And it was all obviously got released. But uh, I stayed in contact with Ken um, for, what was it? Maybe, I think maybe about a month or two after the soundtrack was released, the, you know, the big blue, big blue box set they did right. from Film Score Monthly. Um, and he, yeah, he phoned me and said, you know, Oliver, if it wasn't for you, this soundtrack may have never happened. I was oh, like, what? Fantastic. I was like, what? Shut up, Ken. That's, <laughs> that's rubbish. And he goes, no, no, it's true. I mean, that's, you know, because if I hadn't, I suppose if I hadn't set the ball rolling by, you know, interviewing him and then speaking to Michael, you know, the soundtrack, the soundtrack box set would have probably would have happened anyway, but not probably not at that point, you know, it would have taken a little bit longer to come out, but. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when Ken told me that. So I felt so kind of, you know, happy and to be part of, you know, official an official Superman thing. Right. Um so yeah, and that was that was it from I heard from Ken really. I mean, I I I, I he didn't come to England that much often because he because he was quite old, 
quite an old man. So mm-hmm. and obviously, he unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a great experience to meet you know a very underrated composer. Right. Um, and because of like your recommendation, like you said during the commentaries that you did with uh, Geekvolution, that like I w- I went back. I think uh, like I was doing I was doing some work, and I had the Superman two uh, soundtrack playing in the background. And I'm mm. just like 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 he does a good a good job at adapting like his own version of the John Williams theme, and then the rest of the score is really good. And it's just like like you're you're the second pen in after John Williams. It's kind of hard. It's an upward battle. It's like trying to climb Mount Everest in some fans' minds. So I understand where people are like heavily critical of him coming in and trying to do his own spin on it. Well, yeah, because uh, it's kind of, cause you have to adapt music and that's like adapting music and recomposing it to fit certain scenes. So you're taking, you're copy and pasting, but it's not literally copy and pasting. You have to break it up and fit those parts to the right bits and change the timing of the cues in a short space of time, which is really difficult to do. Um, so I always, always, when people kind of criticized that I might do, do you had like a couple of weeks, maybe a month to redo that? Mm-hmm. So, and they didn't want anything new really. Um, but all the kind of the newer stuff we did was in Superman three, which is kind of a bit more, you know, a tonal shift in music. Well, that, like the whole movie is a tonal shift. The, yeah. Yeah. Compared to the first two Superman films, that makes sense that it's in, at least it wasn't like trying to be serious while, combating the the comedic tone of the movie sure, like, sure. he did the right thing um it reminds me of like what like uh james horner like having like zero time with aliens because of the edit was kept changing because that movie went over schedule and over budget yeah so, um sticking with superman how, like how do you rank the superman movies in your mind what you're saying just the christopher reed ones or all of them we see all of them. Okay. Um, well, it's got to go Superman, the movie. It's got to then go... Oh, it's difficult to say sometimes, because I, I, I... Okay, the theatrical Superman 2, I think, is next, actually. I, I prefer of the Donner Cup. But I think it's a little bit more finesse, um, even though it doesn't have the Brando stuff. I prefer the ending, the reversing time thing again was, you know... Oh, I, I would have preferred if they kept it how it was. Just, you know, defeats odd. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it goes one, yeah, Superman two, Superman three, then the Donner Cut, then probably Man of Steel, then then Superman Returns, then Superman four. So Superman four is the worst, but it's not. I still have a lot of love for that film, despite it being an absolute turkey. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Superman Returns is kind of a little bit better because it is actually kind of more of a polished film. Uh, it's more coherent, but it's still bloody boring. Now I can't. Yeah, it- and it doesn't have like the like oh my son's kind of like superman i don't remember sleeping with superman because yeah. of like the, and it's like what, what did you do and we're like like the kevin smith like like the, he made the joke in, in the q a like he is the fastest man alive that he just <laughs> zipped in and something like that happened <laughs> um, left slept with her, then left straight away to find krypton you know <laughs> then she's met like you know perry white's you know um Grandson, whatever he is, um, what's his name? Oh, is it is it Jimmy? No, not Jimmy White. What am I talking oh, no. about? I can't remember his name. It's it's it's, it's vanished from my brain. But um, fifteen minutes later, you're gonna remember. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. But then she starts dating him really quickly, and then they've kind of been together. So he thinks it's his child. Ah, oh, it's it's a it's a mess. Right. Um. I, 
To be honest, I thought you were going to put Man of Steel at the bottom of that because no, no, it, no. I mean, it's... I, it splits the crowd. It is definitely an acquired taste for that movie. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I I applaud them for doing something different. You know, mm-hmm. they, they took a risk. Risks aren't always successful. I see with risk of you know Superman killing Zod. Right. The, you know, the uh, huge disaster they create with the action scenes. And you're not seeing Superman save that many people physically on camera. He obviously destroys the world engine, which saved the Earth. Yeah. But um, it was it, it was a different Superman to what I'd kind of liked. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I preferred the Chris Reeve Superman. This one's kind of more of a Superman trying to find himself. And you think by that point... You know, when he was in his 30s, when he becomes Superman, he probably already knows what he needs to do and what he should do. Right. But <laughs> he seems a bit, like a bit unsure still. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there was lots of interesting stuff in it. You know, I like Krypton. I think the Krypton sequence was amazing. There's mm-hmm. some really clever action, even, you know, it would have looked even better if they kept the camera still. Right. You know, it's endless shaky cam. And the <laughs> kind of, it took a lot of the saturation out of the film. Like, it looked really kind of, Cold. Uh, cold and great. You know, Superman should be bright and colourful and shouldn't be, like, looking moody and dark and grey and there. you know. <laughs> but they've improved it. They've improved the colour, the photography in the new film, Batman v Superman. That looks a lot better. So it looks have, like Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same guy as Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they've obviously listened to the criticism and hopefully they'll address that in the new one. But, yeah, I, yeah. Think, uh, I think Larry Fong, who... Photograph Watchmen. He's done most of Snyder's work with the exception of Man of Steel. I know, which was the guy who photographed Man of Steel, photographed Transformers. I was like, oh man, really? Like, Why him? Why? You know. I, I guess because maybe he still wants, he still appreciates shooting on film versus digital. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. And, Michael I mean, Bay, despite Michael Bay being, you know, uh, a bit of a shoddy filmmaker, you know, he, he appreciates film. You know, he uses VistaVision. He uses IMAX, he uses large format celluloid. You know, he's he loves film, so which is great, you know. And like with Michael Bay, like you're saying that I, like all the things like I think Richard has commented, I think in one of the commentaries that he says that a lot of this, he tries to do as much as possible in camera versus yeah. having to play a digital character, which is commendable and what it takes to set that up. And then you think of like how big of a movie like one of Transformers is, and then like Two years later, it has a sequel and it has a lot of this stuff done practically. You wonder, yeah. like, you just kind of wonder, like, what kind of a mind it is. Just like, all right, we got to have this, this, and this, this in the foreground, this in the middle ground, that in the background, and then have that play out. And you're like, there's a weird mad genius there. He's just wished that, like, just cut, like, I want to see him possible do a smaller story. I know he did that with, like, with Pain and Gain. That is a smaller story in comparison, but, like, like, let's see him do, like, a true dialogue piece and see what happens. <laughs> It'll be hilarious, mate. It'll be absolutely hysterical. It's, it's like, if I always said, if Michael Bay wasn't making big blockbuster action films, he'd be making porn, you know. <laughs> That's what he'd be doing. Um, but if you know, if you look at these films, you know, the action is incredible, how, it, well, how well it's staged, but you don't care about what you're seeing. That's the problem, I think, with Michael Bay. You know, you just... You don't care about what he's what he's what what story he's ty- trying to tell because you know he's not he's kind of he's part of that being a visualist with his with his direction, but it was just you know with with way he makes the characters talk and the way how the film was edited, there isn't a, a natural flow to create something that's really kind of that draws you in. But some people love it. Some some of my friends were like you know they cried at the end of Armageddon. I was like really, <laughs> that film was awful. 
But then people <laughs> love that film. But I mean, I thought, like, yeah, the effects are amazing, but it's so long, you know. And um, you know, I just I think I felt The Rock's good and Bad Boys. If you watch Bad Boys, that's totally it doesn't feel like a Michael Bay film. It's no. it's it's one eight five. It's not two three five one. There's a lot of these kind of traditional kind of um, directing styles isn't really in that film. It feels so different. It feels like a, a kind of, obviously it's one of his, it's his first film. So it's, it feels like someone who hasn't fully um, sort of grasped his kind of what he's meant to be. But I mean, I think that's kind of seeing that is, is it shows that he had a lot of promise, but I, I just think he's just, he's just been on repeat the last 15 years. I, I, which I do agree and it's like, but then you think of like somebody like Paul Verhoeven made action movies and he moved the camera like nobody else. Same thing with John McTiernan and James Cameron. Yet when it has those quieter moments, they all, all three of them, they slow down. Oh yeah. And, they, yeah, and, they, yeah. and like, like the scene with Robocop when he finally sees his face, the camera barely moves in that scene. And it's just like rather like, like a really sl- like slight tilt when like Lewis like leaves the scene or something like that. But then like the rest of the movie, the camera's flying around and you don't notice it. It doesn't call too much attention to it. And I and I, I study Verhoeven's movies throughout, like throughout his career. Like, how does he do this? How does he get away with it? And how? And I look at the like, say like, like Michael Bay. Like, why does it not work here versus here? Like with Verhoeven stuff. And I guess like you're right. It's probably just the characters, and it's probably just the story in general. It's it, it doesn't understand subtleties of these kind of those more tender moments. He just has to cast a kit has to have the, the camera constantly moving and and editing going back and forth between different shots. You don't need that. I mean, mm-hmm. he has kind of slowed down a bit because he had to actually forcibly slow down um, like the term, the Transformer sequels because people they're doing these in three D. And you, uh, when you have something that's being cut so quickly, the three D will never register. You know, because I was there doing when three D came out and I before I left the cinema trade and you'd see kind of films post converted or ones that actually were in three D and the ones that were in three D were edited so quickly people you know, you don't notice the three D at all. So he you, you can see I think Transformers three, he'd slowed it he slowed down his edits so mm-hmm. he could see everything happen in obviously three D. And right. number four as well does the same thing. And the weird thing, number four did so well at the box office. And one of my friends was like, Oh, you've got to watch it. It's like, it's the best sequel out of the bunch. It's just on, it's like the first one. I was like, really? Are you sure? Are you, are you, are you, are you positive? And he was like, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Okay. Watched it. Damn, this film was awful. It was so boring. It was so long. And it was the same stuff you've seen all before. And even had different characters. It's still the same stuff. Still yeah, the same it, thing. And I feel like the thing with Transformers 4, like, this seemed like there was too much plot. Like, it could have ended, like, a part one and part two, it could have ended, like, with, like, Marky Mark's child being taken away and going to another planet. Yeah. And then Mark joining the Optus Prime to go fight him. It could have ended there and then been like, all right, we didn't need the entire... Had his, like- like, had his bounty hunter turn up to try and kill Optimus Prime. Like, who is he? Don't know who he is. They bring back Megatron. He's now Galvatron, isn't he? But he, yeah. he's like, it wasn't in the end of the battle. He sort of was in the background doing nothing. And he sort of wanders off. I was like, why have him in there? You know? And then you've got, why didn't they just have the giant planet that, what was it from the, the cartoon that ate other worlds, you know? Oh, the one with, um, the one that Orson Welles, like, yeah, voice, yeah, I think. Yeah. I can't remember his bloody name now, but oh. yeah, 
that would have been amazing to see. And they, I think they've always kind of hinted at that, but it may happen in number five, but pff, I don't care. But at the end of the day, you know, we look at these movies and go, they're terrible and they're so, so long and bloated, but people still go see them. So, you know, there's obviously a market for it. It made over a billion dollars. And I'm like, ah. I, I will admit, I did drag my girlfriend to go see no, it. No, you went to see it, so you funded it, man. <laughs> I know. It, believe me, my brother-in-law chewed me out for being an enabler to going to see that. Like, why did you go see it? I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Stop yelling at you me. You can't help. You can't help. Because most of the time, you're like, I've got to hear Peter Cullen's voice one more time. Come on, I want to see Prime. Because <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just, you know, you're, you're like a battered wife. You know, you keep going to see it. just <laughs> taking the abuse. But you're just like, yeah, well, it's rubbish. You know, so... You pay your money, eat your popcorn, that, and be bored for three hours, you know. With that in mind, that's why I didn't go to see Terminator Genesis, but I was like, nope, <laughs> nope. I'm like, I am putting my foot down, I'm not going to. Like, I'll go I'll go to my theater and see what's the movie playing next to it, pay a ticket to that, and sneak in. <laughs> like, I, and like, like, the joke at my job was, was like, I'll go see Smurfs, like, if there was going to be a Smurfs 3, like, I'll go see a Smurfs 3 by myself and then sneak in, probably raising a few eyebrows, like, all right, this one guy just buying a ticket by himself to go see Smurf 3. This is a little, little suspicious here. But I was like, I didn't even bother with it. And I just waited like to see what like you guys talked about. And I'm like, I'm glad I saved the 10 bucks or yeah, 13, depending if I was going to see it in a higher format. And I'm like, I'm not going to go see that. No, I'm, well, um, yeah, I'm glad you didn't. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, it's not to say don't ever see it I and mean, see it when it comes out, you know, Netflix, or whatever, if you don't have to pay, you know, $12 or whatever for, the Blu-ray or DVD, um, but it yeah, it wasn't good. It was such a disappointment. It was such a starts out first twenty minutes. You think, oh, this could be quite good, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. But some people loved it. You know, some people. Well, the negative to the positive, obviously, the negative outweighed the positive with the general public and critics. So the film didn't do very well, did it? Worldwide no. box office wise, so it's kind of put the sequels in a bit of limbo because Fox were like, we know Paramount were going to said, no, we're going to do a trilogy of new films. I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever you know? Um, but you know, when you watch the end of Genesis, you kind of see where they're going to go with it. But, um, uh, but, but they like, tried to do that with salvation. I would have preferred at the end of the day, even though salvation wasn't a very good movie, you know, it has better action, better direction than Genesis, despite the film kind of being rubbish in its third act. Um, <laughs> the, I would have preferred a sequel to that, to be honest. You know, mm. just instead of being a different cast, different location again, different, you know, we're going back in time again. It's just like, let's have it in the future. to show us a giant war on Skynet. Just give us what we want, you know. And, and not have it look like Colin McCarthy's The Road. Have it, like, with the blue tint on everything and have everything at night. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, like, I saw that. I'm just like, everything looks like it was... Black Hawk Down doesn't look like a Terminator movie. It just looks like <laughs> let's put a really tan filter on oh, uh, yeah. in the camera and stuff oh, like that. Oh. Um, going back to what the Superman questions is, um, <laughs> do you remember where you were when Christopher Reeve passed away? Um, I was think I was actually going to work actually, and I I just kind of checking my phone. I think and I heard the news. I was like, oh. You know, damn, you know, I was so gutted, but I was kind of knew it would happen at, at some point because being in his condition, people don't really live for that long being mm-hmm. that severely disabled but because of the care he was, you know, he had, you know, he could live longer. Uh, I was always hoping he'd walk again. And there's always, you know, back in your mind, oh, 
you know, if 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 he had the funding from all that the sort of stem cell research, which is right. happening in other countries, um, you know, he may have walked, may have, he may have actually walked again. Um, but it's just down to the sort of the time with the republics and Republicans in in power and and George Bush against yeah. stem cell research, research that kind of put that in, um, called delayed everything. But yeah, I was so gutted. You know, it was a childhood icon. You know, and I was I was actually mortally shocked when. He broke his neck in when I was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. who was it? Was it ninety five? Five. It was right after I think right after Village of the Damned, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And um, oh, ninety five. So how old I think back when I was, I was probably yeah, I was about, about th- coming up to twelve. No, coming up to thirteen years old. So yeah, it was a, it was like when Superman was killed in the comics. It was such a huge impact at the time in ninety three. Mm-hmm. And um, then when you know Christopher Reeve breaking his neck, and and I spent because I used to read this uh, UK. Superman comic. It's basically American comics kind of republished in the UK, but they weren't new. There's kind of reprints, but mm-hmm. um, you could write in your letters um, to the, you know, the publishers and they're, they're, obviously they'll publish the letters and let the fans and it'll give fans responses to their questions. And every question every month was when is Superman five coming out? Yeah. And I did the same. I emailed in, I drew a picture and they printed it. And I need to find it. I need to find that comic and put it on Twitter or Facebook, This my letter. It's probably really kind of poor grammar, you know, so you're like 10 years old. <laughs> and um, But yeah, every question was Superman 5. When's it happening? When's it happening? And it, and it was kind of, something was kind of boiling at the time. It, was, it may actually happen. And then suddenly, obviously, he fall, you know, breaks his neck. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just, you know, kind of heartbroken, you know, because as a kid, you're like, oh no, there's going to be no more Superman films. But you shouldn't be like, Upset there's going to be no more Superman films. You should be upset. I should know. We should be upset that he's not going to walk again. He's not going to be able to make any more movies. He's not going to you know do what he wants to do. So, um, yeah, that was yeah, that was a kind of a weird thing. It's always like people have that moment. Uh, some adults will have when JFK was shot or when John Lennon died. You know, for you know my generation is when you know Chris Reed broke his neck or you know when mm-hmm. Brandon Lee died. You know, it's always all like Kurt Cobain. You know, right. And I remember, like, just something like to put it in a little context, like me being younger than you. I remember Michael Jackson died the night of my prom, so oh, I don't remember. Really? I I don't like remember standing in a line, like doing like the group photos, like usually do, and then somebody checked the phone, and Michael Jackson died, and everybody's just like, like in yeah, the line, yeah, I looked that. at your phone, and it's just like, I don't remember my prom for being my prom. The first memory <laughs> I have is I like Michael Jackson died that the night of my prom, so it's one of those like weird things you just have those in the back of your mind, like, oh, those little bookmarks, like, oh, that's what punctuated that day. Because for me, when, when Michael Jackson died, I was actually working in a projection booth. We were changing the adverts on mm. Thursday night. And it was quite late at night. And I got a phone call from downstairs. And my friend goes, Ollie, the news, did you see Michael Jackson just died? I was like, what? He's dead? And then my friend in the background obviously didn't know who had passed away. He just heard me on the phone go, he's dead. And then and I put the phone down and he goes, Oliver, Who's died? I went, Michael Jackson. He goes, oh, thank God for that. I thought it was someone, someone, someone we knew. I was like, what? You know? <laughs> so I went downstairs to have a chat with the staff. And all, yeah, when, when all the films finished, people were just all on their phones. As soon as they burst out the auditorium doors, they're all on their phones texting, texting, you know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, moving on, like, um, I, I'll probably know the answer to this question is, but thoughts on... Digital versus film. Um, digital is obviously a lot kind of efficient and easier for filmmakers. 
don't mm. have to get the film printed. You don't, you right. know, it's, it's far more cost efficient. But there's something about it when you see digital, it just looks more flat. The image doesn't seem that 3D. Mm-hmm. You watch animal, if you see anamorphic 35 millimeter, it just looks far more richer. It has more depth to it. Digital will get better and better with more, I think, with more improved lenses will come out. Mm-hmm. But everything's always kind of shot digitally with flats. So it's kind of like a bit like Super 35. Yeah. Kind of mask off the top and bottom to create 2351. And that's the thing I don't really like. And um, with more directors kind of pushing for film and using IMAX more often, and Tarantino's new film coming out is all shot on 70 millimeter and only going to be shown in 70 mil. That is just mental. I just can't wait to see that film. Um, so I'd always love film because I dealt with film, you know, seeing it projected. I know the quality of it. I know what it looks like. But when I saw, when you see 2K digital projectors, which most cinemas are equipped with, um, it doesn't look as good as 35. Doesn't no. look, not at all. I can tell. I can tell. And it's, there's a cinema where I live have 4K projectors, Sony 4K projectors. But right. they, don't, they don't get delivered 4K content. They're still just kind of showing 2K copies. Like, dude, you know, if you're going to charge more now for these tickets, you know, show in 4K. I want to see it. You know, I, I, it's like it's one of those with. I think I've, I've tweeted at you a few times, like 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 I mentioned before, that theater that does that shows independent movies. Like they most they try to show on film the most. It's like uh, a few weeks ago I tweeted a picture at you. It was like it was Serenity and Fifth Element. Fifth back Element, to back. yes, yes. And like the Fifth Element, I'm like it. Could, it looks like it was shot yesterday. I mean, like it was very little grain. It was like I mean, like, it was grain, but it wasn't it was like a clean, very little it was a clean scratch. print. It wasn't damaged or scratched. No, and like there was one earlier in the summer. It was like it was Reanimator and uh, Return of the Living Dead back to back. Return of the Living Dead, the print like it did have like it's one of few like close ups. Like look like how Grindhouse did when they like oh, yeah. digitally implanted implanted those kind of scratches on top of it. But it was like it's it, and like, even my girlfriend, who's not a technical person when it comes to the movies and begin with, she she's even recognized like I can my eye can now tell the difference, and I'm like, well, that's good. I'm educating you a little bit upon <laughs> it. Um, and like I've shot on film, and I I shot digitally. I've shot Super Eight and sixteen millimeter, and I was like, I was writing something like I like I was thinking like, what if I shoot on film with this? And then I did the math, and I'm like, all right, if I get X amount of feet of film, the camera, the lenses, then the 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 developing and then the digitizing it because I do digital editing because I just prefer it over film editing because oh, yeah. it's a pain in the ass to do otherwise. And I'm like, it's going to run me $600 to do this three, three minutes short. And I'm like, Hmm. Versus if I rent all like just digital camera, like a digital camera and two other lenses, I'm like, it's like two fifty, And I'm like, well, yeah, I wish I had a yeah, budget. Do the math. And it's, you know, you see how much cheaper it is. I mean, if you're on limited budget, always shoot digitally. Don't think, no, because you know you want to shoot on film. It's, it's it's a novelty. It's the romance of shooting on film. It's like you know, mm-hmm. it's so attractive, but don't bother. I mean, when once if you kind of do those, do do shoot everything digitally. But when you've got the money to spend and you've been given opportunity to to direct a big production, and they say you know you've got the option, go for film straight away. Of course, you know if I if I had loads of money, you know to make a direct a film, you know I probably never will do. I'm not it's not my uh, forte. Mm-hmm. But I'd, you know, if if I had to make the next Superman film, you know, my way, I'm shooting a whole thing on seventy millimeter. All gonna be seventy, you know, no thirty five mil, no digital, no IMAX, just seventy millimeter. Because um, I'd be really stubborn that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
as long as it's more entertaining than P.T. Anderson's The Master, then I think we'll, we'll, we'll all <laughs> win in the end at that point. <laughs> and the film, uh, only, the, film only, and the film can only come out on Betamax and Laserdisc, so no one can buy it. <laughs> so we can buy it. <laughs> be really curmudgeoned about it, like, no, this is the only way to see the And then going back to what you're saying about Tarantino's um, Hateful Eight, I think that he's using the cameras that was used like on Ben-Hur, like those lenses. Oh, yeah, yeah, they will do. And yeah. so it's like, and like I said, it's like in America, it's like being released for like 50, 50 cities are going to be showing it on 70 millimeter film for two weeks. And then come January, then it's going to be shown digitally. And then it's like, I told my girlfriend that we're, we're sitting yeah, in, and, and she's like, and like, it's probably going to be close to, it's going to be New York city. It's going to be in Manhattan. She's like, sure. We've driven 40 minutes to a movie theater to see on film. What's another 10 minutes going to do for us? I'm like, Oh, there we go. Exactly. Uh, um, the stop motion and mad paintings still have a pr- should should they still have a presence in movies today? Um, well, matte paintings are still there; they're still used as just digital mats. Um, right. So you could watch like something like Prometheus. You can see the background sky and all these kind of clouds and mountains. That's all a matte painting, essentially. It's di- right. Digital mat. It's, it's digital mat. Uh, yeah, matte paintings is far more polished now and less obvious. But it's a great, you know great art of the past and seeing them and when you see a great map painting from an 80s movie or even say from the 50s and 60s like a, like a Hitchcock movie you think damn that's amazing map you watch like the birds that's got amazing map paintings in it you know it's oh, a yeah. painting but you don't care because it just looks it blends so well with the live action footage oh, yeah. uh, stop motion is um, kind of it, well, stop motion is kind of really really used for children's movies now isn't it really mm. i mean you, you use it in a live action kind of form like robocop 2 it, it looked great at the time but you know it's stop motion but you know it's got it's got such a charm to it you you can kind of accept it for what it is and enjoy it and be still be impressed with it but if you had stop motion in say a new film today say say for example um the new avengers movie for example and there's a bad guy who's like a robot and he's Instead of being CG stop motion, you'd probably be laughed at, you know, or it probably won't look as good as you'd kind of expect. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 a you know, this all kind of moved on now. So I mean, CG is is the next was the next evolution of it, and that was with Jurassic Park, really. And like it was like Jurassic Park and T two T two being my favorite movie of all time. Both those movies are like they're the culmination of technology that happened up until that point. Yeah, and it's. It's kind of like I have like a, a bit of like a, going on thinking about technology when it comes to those CG characters being more integrated in movies. I have a slight bittersweet feelings towards those two movies because it it started the trend of what CGI has become today. Mm. Like like Phil Tippett saying, um, "I'm extinct," and then Jeff Goldblum like ha ha, he uh, utters it in his uh, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my, my terrible Goldblum uh, impression. You can talk about him without doing an impression of him. <laughs> um, and it's just like, and, and like you're saying, like with like shooting a film, like it's kind of like you feel a sort of romance kind of die a little with the CGI being so integrated in the movies. Going one step further, do you think miniatures still have a place in movies today? They do. They do. They, they still use miniatures, um, but not it's, it's a lot of the time because they've added so many kind of filters over it and changed the photography, like in post, like with, you know, telecine work, the colorist has fiddled about with it. Because sometimes mm-hmm. hide a lot of the miniatures because surprisingly, if you look at the Star Wars prequels, you think, oh, they're all full of CGI nonsense. But each film from episode one to three had more and more miniatures used in them. 
but you don't really realise that because it's got so much CGI kind of slapped all over it with added extra things, you can't really see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Lord of the Rings, you know, trilogy has tons of miniatures. When you see something, ex- something explode, like a wall or, a, you know, like a building, it's all most of the time it's in miniature form. Right. So it just looks, you know, it's it's using it correctly. But obviously with, with some of the big films, you know, if the director knows what he's doing, you know, is a he has a, a good understanding of visual effects. He will always kind of put try and go for live action, try and put a miniature in if possible. But you know, something you just can't achieve in miniature form. You need to do it in CG. You know, depending on what camera movements you want to do. Um, but yeah, miniatures will always be about, but they're obviously not to the extent as they were in the eighties and beforehand. You know, I mean, I guess like you were like you were saying that like. If the miniature is good, we shouldn't notice it, and so yeah, maybe that's yeah. why we haven't noticed it. Like if like really bad miniatures or something like that, that's when you notice, and I'm just like, all right, it's a it's a, like it's a little iffy, and I'm just like, huh, I'm trying to think of a really eh, not bad miniature, but like like a little bit of like the like Star Wars New Hope, like some like the trench run, like a little bit like certain camera moves. You're like, all right, you can kind of tell that's a miniature, and it's yeah, not. Yeah, a- there's bits when they when they, when they shoot um, uh, before they go in the trench run, they shoot parts of Death Star. And the camera's is the camera's basically the point the POV of mm-hmm. the of the ship, so you, you can tell it's a miniature, you know. Yeah, because they, obviously they're short for time; they're running, you know, at a small budget, so you can kind of like you know forgive them for that. But um, there's, I mean, obviously I reviewed Army of Darkness like a couple of weeks ago, and there, if you watch that back, there is some proper ropey miniatures in that, you know, with the, the scale is just given away completely. But you know, it's. It, because it's all kind of slapstick and schlocky and, you know, talking skeletons, you know, in stop motion animation form, uh, you can kind of forget about it. It doesn't bother you, you know. But when you've got a film which has got consistently good effects, then you've got a really wobbly CG shot, it takes you out of the movie. Like, was it like a lot of people like commenting on the Fantastic Four, like that I have not seen yet? There's apparently no, a, scene, a scene apparently that Reed Richards like uses his stretching abilities to change his face around. Yeah, and, and then know. like he changes back, and apparently it's a little iffy. And I'm like, you had 125 million dollars, and that CGI doesn't really pull off. And, <laughs> oh, then, and I'm like, oh, there it no, goes. Just, I don't want. I I'm not sure if I will see that. Um, people have asked. People have asked me, Richard and Duncan, you know, to go see it because they want us to sort of tear it apart. But I don't want to waste ten pounds on a film I know is going to be boring and rubbish and not bad funny you know what i mean yeah. it's not, you're not going to go that was hilariously bad it's going to be it was just bad and when a film is just bad it's depressing to talk about you know it's just annoying you know that's why batman and robbins endured so much because you can make yeah. so much fun out of that exactly and, and like there's i mean it's gotten to the point that like at college sometimes i would just like like our one friend like would have like he had a big suite so most of us congregated there and a lot of the times I would just kick in the door and I would just scream in like, what killed the dinosaurs? And have the entire room <laughs> respond, the Ice Age! And then I'd just come and sit down and say hello to everybody. And like, that's a movie that's endured despite how bad it is. Um, Stan Winston versus Rob Bottin, who do you prefer? Oh, that is a, that's a tough question, actually. I think, I mean, Stan Winston came up with some iconic kind of designs. I mean, he didn't, I mean, he obviously designed The Predator, you know, and he's done... And he's kind of brought ideas to life 
but Rob Bottin was kind of some of the best at some of the gore and and you know suits. If you watch, look at someone like Legend, you know Rob Bottin. It's, it's incredible makeup and uh, and watch they like the thing. So I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I, I I'm going to say Rob Bottin. I think for me. Yeah, like uh, which I I do agree with, but like despite the fact that he's had a much a shorter career than Winston. Yeah, he was. I think he was kind of smart enough to get out of the business. You know, I think he. I, th- I think he's involved in property. I think. Um, yeah, like in Northern California, apparently. Yeah, so he doesn't. You know, he's he's done his thing. I think really, he may. You know, you never know. He may come back one day to do something. But um, um, yeah, Stan Winston. You know, stuck it, stuck through it, and um, continued getting the work. And now. Um, the other makeup artist, what's his name? Did American Werewolf? Uh, Rick know. Baker. Rick Baker. Now he's retiring, isn't he? So, you know, he's. I think he's down, basically down to the, the amount of work drying up. Which is which is sad, sort of a face. It's, it's understandable that it's going that way, but like like we've said ad nauseum at this point in this podcast, like shooting on film and having something there on the day your eye will recognize, like, oh, that's really there. Like, even if I watch Lord of the Rings on Blu-ray and I'm like, looks good that that Smeagol does look good but my eye can tell that he's not really there oh of course but but, in t- but when it came out though it was like that looked real you know yes. when I first saw it in 35 bill in cinema I was like that's incredible so over time your kind of eyes have got used to it and you can kind of see the flaws you know it's just you know you, you get more wise to you know the effect um Going like going on a little bit of like a kind of like a director uh, standpoint is um, Ridley Scott, great visualist, or and a bad storyteller, or just a okay storyteller that's really good at visuals. Yeah, I'd say he's an okay storyteller, but amazing at visuals. At his age, you know, he's in his seventies, so and he's still producing the best looking films. Mm-hmm. Now, Prometheus, despite the qualities of its story, it looked incredible and right. you know someone of his age it's amazing um so yeah i, I it, ridley scott films i always put down to this i don't think hardly any of them have ever made me cry or feel so moved by mm. his storytelling i think it's kind of everything's just kind of acceptable i think he lets the act lets lets the actors do their thing and because he hires them think okay you know you know what you're doing you're an actor you're a professional do your thing but i sometimes don't feel like he's got enough out of them with their performance and that was a whole Harrison Ford argument wasn't it with him and working with him on Blade Runner where you know Harrison wanted you know more direction right and where Ridley was kind of focusing on the visuals and Ridley's like well you know you're an actor you should know what you're doing you know you know <laughs> you're paid professional you're paid millions of dollars you should know what you're doing um so yeah so I it's it's you know he hasn't yeah he hasn't made a film recently well I watched God's um, what was it? Exodus, Gods and um... Gods and Kings, or something like yeah, that. Gods and Kings, I forget, yeah, I forget the subtitle. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought the film was actually pretty good. It actually got a bit of a bashing by the critics. Um, it's, when you when you start watching it, you're thinking, "Oh, this this casting's a bit questionable." <laughs> I don't, I think they're all a bit hit and miss. But once it, you kind of get used to it, and then you see at the end when they, you know, the, the, the Ten Commandments, not Ten Commandments, the Ten Plagues hit Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, you know, visuals. Um, but yeah, it was, you know. Actually, the only sad thing about the film actually kind of made me feel upset because at the end of the film, at the end credits, it says, for my brother, Tony Scott. You know, that was like, oh, that's really heartwarming. You know, he directed it, you know, he, uh, in tribute to his brother. 
Yeah, and like I think Tony's gone on record saying like nobody makes swords and sandals movies like my brother. So <laughs> yeah, which yeah. which it, he does show, but I mean like Gods and Monsters, like like I mean Gods and Monsters. That's a movie <laughs> by James Whale. Ian McKellen played um, um, Exodus. Like there was obviously the criticism of, of like the casting, like some like accusing of whitewashing that Hollywood has been that's accused right. of multiple times, and it's kind of hard not to acknowledge it. Like eh, it's a little like I understand where yeah, that's coming from. It feels from. like the casting choices were like from a film from the fifties, you know. Yeah. But then you got to look at Gladiator. Now you've got an Australian playing a Spaniard. That's true. And nobody questioned it. No, 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 no one questioned it. Exactly. So then you've got Alexander by Oliver Stone, where everyone talks, everyone's Irish for some reason. (laughs) Was everyone Irish back then? I don't remember. I don't Um, think so. No. So yeah, that was, you know, that was actually quite, that was laughed at when that came out, but I have a real soft spot for that film. Right. I just love this. I loved it. I loved its visuals and the soundtrack by Vangelis was just incredible. It's that, well, sorry. Um, it's not like the point of like having Mickey Rooney playing an Asian person in a movie or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah, that yeah. level of atrociousness. No, um, no, it's not that not that bad, but it's still kind of like, come on, you know, you could have used, you know, kind of the local kind of people from that country if you're going to shoot it there, you know, just have it try and remain faithful. But in the day, actors sell a movie. Yeah, you can't have nobodies. You know, you know, it's a shame that because actors who are trying to get work aren't getting seen and then you, they're just applying, they're just hiring stars because the stars are what guarantee the budget and get the audiences in <laughs> despite them not looking at all like who they're supposed to play. Right. Um, favorite James Cameron movie. Oh, favorite James Cameron. Uh, ooh, ooh, okay. Um, let me think. I'd say aliens. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I love Terminator 2. Love the Terminator as well. It's just, that's too difficult, man. Um, they're all, those three movies are amazing. And oh, yeah. I think Aliens was just, you know, the next one on from a, from Alien, from the Terminator. So, you know, he cut his teeth on that film mm-hmm. and then gets more money, gets to do a sequel to a film he adored and, you know, gave it his all and, um, and produced something really, really, really cool. Um, I mean, Terminator 2 is probably, James at his most kind of confident, I think. I mean, obviously, you know, and we also got Titanic as well, which is like, despite what you know, I didn't, really, I didn't really like Titanic, but mm. I appreciate the quality of the filmmaking and its final results. You know, yes, you can't deny it, it looks amazing. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Aliens, but I'm probably, I'm obviously guessing your, obviously your favorite film is Terminator Two. So yeah, but yet I still, I still come down on like that. I, I take the budget into um, account because of what the limitations, despite having a much bigger budget from Terminator, that like what he accomplished with aliens on this, like T2 would make sense. He had roughly $90 million in which pretty much Colarco made their money back with like pre-selling it and product oh, yeah. places. So like that was pure profit. 20th century Fox, it was a bit of a gamble. It was mid budget at the time, but what he accomplished with whether it be the miniatures, the mad painting, the queen itself. And it's mm. like, like it's something to marvel at. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I've like one shot in aliens where they're going into the hive and the mm-hmm. camera pans down and the pan is actually a foreground miniature in front of the camera. Right. And then the executives thought, why are you spending all this money on these sets? They go, well, it's not a set. It's a miniature. 
mm-hmm. it's not actually there. And that was incredible. You know. uh, apparently, James Remar is in that scene, like supposedly that yeah, scene. Yeah, apparently Remar from so. the back. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there's an, I've, I've only seen like a few kind of production photographs, but yeah, I think that may only be the bit of film where he kind of he's still in it. <laughs> All right, let's go a little bit to scores. Um, favorite Jerry Goldsmith co- score? Oh, good question. Good one. Good one. Um, oh dear. See, I love his score to Rambo. Well, it's just called First Blood, isn't it? It's not called Rambo yeah. First Blood. First Blood is incredible score. Um, it's, it's a great whole whole soundtrack itself is great to listen to by itself. It's not just like one track is good. It's like the whole score is good. Supergirl the movie, despite it being pretty bad film, it's got an amazing <laughs> theme tune and action cues are incredible within that. And it's like if you listen to the the soundtrack, the soundtrack. Um, you can picture a far better film in your head, and when you listen to it by itself, that's a bit like Superman Four. You know, you listen to the soundtrack, <laughs> and go, wow, this sounds amazing. Um, and probably, yeah, probably Supergirl, First Blood, and the Mummy. And the Mummy, oh. Joe Goldsmith didn't really like doing that, um, but it's it's got a great theme to it, a love theme to it, and when you hear it, it's like it creates that image of Egypt in your head. It, it sort of captured that sound of back then i don't know why it sort of invokes those imagery that the imagery mm. of ancient egypt um which i don't think alan Silvestri did very well in the mummy returns um but also you've got total recall as well there's so many great scores and alien but i mean uh, it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the mummy because as soon as you said that like in the back of my mind i just started playing the like mummy theme out and i'm like there's remembering the scene that fears and playing the game on PS one, despite how frustrating the game is, <laughs> um, which I agree. Like, I think total recall is probably my favorite of his as well. Like the omen is a close second. Oh yeah. That's really and creepy. I, that is. Yeah. That's and cool. I think it's just that one cue when the wife realizes that the, the nanny is like an yeah. apostle of the devil. And then well, she's got the sheet over her head. Oh it's yeah. Like, yeah. Um, well, cause we think my friend watched the, the omen with me years ago. And he had to cycle home afterwards at night, you know, through Ooh, these that's... like empty fields. And he was like, had the theme tune in his head. He was all freaked out. <laughs> I think he smoked a bit too much pot that night as well. So he was that, all that'll bit, do it. Yeah, he was all a bit edgy. You know? <laughs> um, uh, what was it? Where was my other notes? Oh, um, favorite John Carpenter score. Oh, that's very good. Um, good question. Um, I would say probably Big Trouble in Little China. Mm, good choice. Yeah, great, great theme tune. Obviously, great song that comes with it. The music video is hysterical, and <laughs> this is the kind of all the action beats as well, and just even the subtlety, the subtle moments where um, you know you've got Jack Burton talking with his friend, and it's just like just the, you've got the bass sound in the background, and um, it just all works so well. You know, I think it's yeah, definitely at his got a score. We've got quite a lot of money thrown at him as well to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because the longest time I would, I would piss off my girlfriend singing Big Trouble in Little China, like putting my voice really oh, yeah. low. Big and Trouble. Yeah. In Little China! <laughs> yeah. That's all the high notes. And she's like, oh, I'm like, I'm, she, we're driving the car, I'm like, I'm going to jerk the wheel and, and flip this car. Like, I, I, it's worth it just to end it all. Oh, stop singing that. Do you uh, want to die? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll keep on singing, then. I'll just do my John Wayne, Jack Burton, John Wayne impression yeah. right there. Um, 
I think like like Halloween is still my favorite of his, but like Escape from New York, I think is like the easiest one for me to put on. Just let that play through. And yeah, this, the composer, um, you know, said that's one of the one of the best selling soundtracks he's done with John Carpenter. It's Alan Hosworth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that uh, sold so well when it came out on LP. You know, it's um, it's. I mean, I can always pick a soundtrack and go, oh, it's, it's one of my favorites. But then I've got to think: is it just a theme tune I like, or is it the rest of the score? You know, that's yeah. the thing you've got to try and remember, you know. Um, so, yeah, Escape from New York is very good. I think Escape from L.A. has got a great soundtrack as well. If you if you can get hold of that, that's mm-hmm. got a great kind of, you know, a redo of the main theme and with help of... Um, sure, Walker. Yeah, yeah, with help from her. I mean, it's a, a far more kind of expansive sort of sound to it as well. It's like one of those things that you're saying that, like, the soundtrack's good, the movie, on the other hand's a leaves a little bit to be desired yeah yeah goldsmith did a lot of that you know he did he pumped out great scores for some really crap films you know right and, uh it's just you think hey well the soundtrack we've got a soundtrack to listen to that's great it's like getting a new album from a from a you know a favorite singer you've you know you love or a band you know it's like well at least you've got the music to listen to that's the thing right. with the star wars prequels you know you've got these three great john williams soundtracks to listen to the films may be crap but you've got these great scores, which are over two hours long. So, you know, I mean, like the like the track "Dual Fates" is like most Star Wars fans will say we don't like. Most will say we don't like Phantom Menace, but "Dual Fates" is something that they'll all agree that oh, it's amazing. a really good. Yeah, once soon as you see that, then a lightsaber battle, you know, with that music, you're like, <gasps> you know, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like pure Star Wars, but you know, yeah. But that, I mean, that that I think that that did really well as well. That, that "Dual Fates" they sold it as a single in the UK and that was in the charts. So really? Yeah. Yeah. The music, huh. there's a music video produced as well. Just John Williams composing, you know, <laughs> composing the orchestra, you know, or conducting. Sorry. I remember, um, the PS one game for Phantom Menace where they had dual fates, but they cut it to like behind the scenes footage of the making of Phantom Menace and extremely disinterested George Lucas looking at the aliens and stuff like that. And then it just cut, it had little clips of like dark mall speaking and they had that play through, and it was like really entertaining. It's like one of those, like some of those images I just I remember. Now, like most of your retrospectives, like are dealing with like move, move, like underrated movies as well as big, well known movies. Yeah, is there a movie that you think is overrated but beloved by a lot of like the general public? Um, ooh, that's um. Let me think. That's a tough question. Um, you can probably edit the space style me thinking to replying <laughs> um okay let me think that one through um everyone's, everyone's, i think oh no 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 i, I was gonna, I was gonna I was drop in the jeopardy theme yeah right yeah I tried to try. <laughs> like countdown click tick tock um <laughs> oh god oh god oh god we can come back to that question later. I, th- I, I think i okay i think batman 89 Really? Yeah. I, huh. I, I'm putting out of hate for that. I did get, well, the thing is, I loved that film when it came out. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I got swept up in the, the hype. You know, I wanted to see the movie. Couldn't see it. It was a, you know, 12 or 15. I think it was a 15 rated film in the UK. In some areas, I think in some areas it was a 12 in parts of the country, I think. Uh, but I, I, I always recall, you know, I wanted to see it, but I couldn't. And I was too young. I saw it, I fell in love with it, loved it to bits, got all the toys. But the more I kind of watched it, you know, it it kind of, 
I found it quite a, quite a dull film in certain areas. The action isn't that well executed. Batman is no. not really that much in it. Um, you know, he's got a bit beginning and he, you know, turns up the, the chemical plant, but he just doesn't really do much. He just kind of shoots a guy with his grappling thing, pulls him off. Backhands and then, another. Yeah, backhands a guy, then goes up some stairs and then reflects a bullet and then that's it. And then you yeah. see him on top of the, the plant as he turns around and walks off. And then you have to wait till the um, the part of the date with Vicky Vale and the Joker turns up and he surprises him by jumping through the ceiling, which is cool. You've got that wicked gun he fires and it propels to the left and right and he slides down out the door. Then you've got the car chase and then that's it. And then you know, he fights the guys with the swords and then the end battle. Okay, yeah, I mean, percentage-wise, I mean, there's probably more Batman in that film than, say, Dark Knight Rises. But oh. um, it was maybe because I've overdosed on a movie too much as a kid, I found it quite a dull experience. Now, I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's nowhere as good. Because some people adore the movie; and they've done videos on it. I think Doug Walker, the Star critic, kind of loves the movie a lot and mm. praises it. I, I don't see that in the movie. I, I um, it's Tim. I, don't, I never thought Tim Burton was that good at action. So action's always a bit clunky. Batman Returns is obviously has similar problems. Similar problems is kind of more. It's it's it's, it's all about the, the visuals and not and the story is very, um, well, quite poor to be honest. And it's like it's, the, the the Catwoman fight with Batman on the roof when like you guys obviously tell that's a stage to begin with, and then he, she's slugging away and he's like trying to block and like this is this is done by a person who is, does not care right now. No, no, no. That's the thing. I mean, Batman Returns felt more set bound as well, and uh, I love the look of the first one when they changed a lot of the visual design. For number two, they try. Um, it was also all set at Christmas, and it's got looked more kind of like Edward Scissorhands to a certain degree with the nighttime stuff. Um, it was the problem with Batman eighty nine. It's it, it takes a lot of liberties with the actual kind of Batman character. You know, you know, I, he I, kills. He kills people. Yeah, and people were like, well, I have no problem with that. And like, like, some people said in my review, which I don't think I kind of fully explained myself that much, that well, that well at the time, um, because Batman killing people is kind of just basically like the Punisher to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and Batman is not supposed to kill. And some people were basically like, "Well, I, I have no problem with that." I'm like, "Well, you, then you don't really understand the character. Um, if you want to see Batman kill people, fine, fine, you know." But um, but and then his parents being killed by the Joker. Um, which obviously didn't happen in the no. original, or in stories. So the more you kind of read into Batman, into, into the Batman character, and the more you read the comics and watch the cartoon, you see how much the 89 film got wrong. It just, it just what it succeeded in was kind of giving ba- a bat- giving us a Batman film that everyone wanted, which is dark, more serious version. And, and just try and get away from the campy 60s one. But I think it went a little bit too far with it. Right. In I retrospect. Mean- um, um, it shows that like it, like Sam Ham's early draft of the script versus the rewrites that happened in the midst of production. It definitely shows because like third act being so different with Batman killing. Like at least Sam Ham at least tried up until like the first half. Like that Batman does not kill. You could argue he he has killed in the comics earlier on in his run. I'm like, well, they're not doing Bob Kane Batman right now, so you can't really well, that- use that argument. Well, that was it. I mean, because I discussed it with my with my friends about what I'd said in the review, and Richard actually was quite <laughs> was said to me was like, "Well, Oliver, you know, people's arguments saying, well, they're staying faithful to the comics where Batman did kill in the in the late thirties. Well, if they did, what about what if they did a Superman film and he doesn't fly, he leaps tall buildings in a single bound, he doesn't, he, he leaps and stuff, 
and and someone goes, then people would complain and say, why isn't he flying? They go, oh, well, we're sticking to the comics from 1938. It's like, no, what are you doing? It's, it's, it's like 75 years ago. Why would you be doing that? Um, but it's not to say I don't like the movie. I just think it's a, it's overrated today. Actually, when you see reviews of the film now, um, it's got, let's say, for example, we've got four out of five, you know, in 1989. Right. And over the years, it's lost a few stars. I mean, I remember... <laughs> It got, I remember reading it got like two out of five when it got re-released on DVD. You know, some a lot of magazines, like DVD magazines, obviously it's based on someone's opinion, but it got two out of five. You know, Batman Returns got three, then Forever got three, and then Batman Robin got one or two, you know. <laughs> um, but um, I, I I think... Actually, the weird thing is, I showed uh, the 89 film to my girlfriend, and uh, she'd never seen it before, but she'd seen the Nolan films, and mm. she thought... The Tim Burton one was really boring, did nothing for her. So it may be a generation gap, but to her, it just didn't excite her. And that kind of further confirmed to me that, you know, it's not as, it's a little bit overrated, but this is my opinion. I can agree to a point because um, my friend Chris and I showed um, our friend Justin the 89 film. And he had seen the Nolan movies, and Chris and I had been fans of the, we've been fans of the Adam West series, the, the Burton movies, and now the Nolan stuff at the time. Not saying I don't like the Nolan stuff, but it was like, like it's, it doesn't seem as interesting. It's not as interesting. What Justin's the take was like, I wasn't really that invested in the movie. It didn't seem that entertaining. I'm like, well, I guess it's like one of those things that, like you didn't grow up with it, you're not gonna like it. But he's also never seen home. He didn't see Home Alone, so he's an adult that didn't like it. So yeah, that, yeah, you know? that's that's a that's a yeah, great comparison there. Even though they're sort of fundamentally different films, it's kind of yeah. you have to be of certain age, I think, to enjoy it. And also with the we'll do all the Batman films before the Nolan ones were all about the villains and not really about Batman. Mm-hmm. And then Tim Burton was always like, no, he should be in the background in the shadows. I'm like, no, it's about Batman. Tell me about him. I want to know more about Bruce Wayne. I want to know about. What he gets up to and stuff. How how does he make the suit? You know, he doesn't. There's none of that. And always as a kid, I always got frustrated with his utility belt <laughs> because things would just slide along it. It's like okay, where was that? Was that round the back of his belt? He couldn't be bothered to reach round and grab it, you know? Or like, how does it fit on there? Like, that makes no sense. It just looks great. This, the belt looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Has no functionality to it at all, you know. So things uh, just slide along it. So. <laughs> And then it's like the that one shot when like he blows up Axis chemicals and he turns on to face the helicopter and the belt slides down a couple yeah, inches. Yeah, so it's yeah. too big for the suit itself. It's doing his back turn. Oh, yeah. Boom! It's like <laughs> snap. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. We kill another stuntman. Good thing we didn't put Keaton in here. Yeah, he's barely in. He's barely in the suit either. Batman <laughs> returns. He's in it for like. He's the weird thing is it's an interview online with the makeup artist for Batman Returns. It's brilliant because he tells you. Keaton was only in the Batman suit, the full suit, for ten percent of the movie. And didn't he get paid ten ten million? Oh yeah, yeah. Act- and he complained. He complained, going, "Oh, it's you know the, the suit's too heavy and stuff like that." It's like, dude, you, you're barely in the suit. The stunt man's doing all the work, and the stunt man has his own Facebook page. He's got loads of photos on Batman and Batman Returns. He's doing everything, everything, every fight scene. He's doing it. Just all the close ups of Michael Keaton. And then, 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 a few years later, you had Arnold Schwarzenegger like oh, he's paid, barely in the a king's suit. ransom, and yet he's barely in the suit. Yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. Really, it's twenty million to do fuck all. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and, 
and well, well, I just did a racer, and it was it was big at the box office, not really, but Warner Brothers, you could you could you could afford me, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, the question that I, I asked my friend Renee that's been was like something that really like he had to scratch his head at. Is there a horror sequel that outshines the original? Um, horror sequel. Um, that's really difficult, I suppose. I mean, if if you class the Alien films as horrors, and you could probably say Aliens is better than the first one, but then you could say number one is actually probably a lot more scary than number two. Mm-hmm. Um, Halloween doesn't have that. Halloween, you know, doesn't have that. I mean, the first one's better than number two. Right. Elm Street, first one's better than number two. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things are better than Nightmare Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Actually, I, hmm, I don't think there is. Well, for my memory, I mean, I, I thought maybe Hellraiser. I think, uh, no, no. Number, number two is kind of more interesting when you kind of get to see the, the Xenobite world, as it were. You know, you get to see Hell. Yeah. But it's kind of it's all done the cheap, and um, it's quite a short movie. Um, no, uh, it's a difficult one. I, I don't think there is. I mean, can you think of one? Do you think there's, there's a... Um... You could make an argument that it's a remake more than the sequel, but Evil Dead Two. That's true. That's true. But that's that's yeah. I mean, because I mean, it's it's less horror in that one, isn't it? It's more kind of a comedy balance. I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. You could be right there. Evil Dead Two. And then there's like 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 my friend and I argue because we do enjoy the Scream movies, and it would some say that like Scream Two is better than the first one. I mean, but like that's just a taste issue. Like a lot of people don't like Scream and say that that was a low point in horror. In what about general. What about some, What about the Friday the Thirteenth movies? Do you think they get better? Um, like Part Six is my favorite because mm-hmm. I think that they go they go full tilt with like, all right, he's a zombie, he can pretty much do anything, and has my favorite death in the entire series when they bend the sheriff back on top of himself. <laughs> but then, like Part Two, Steve Miner had a bigger, um, Steve Miner had a bigger budget, and as compared to the first one, and then like Part Three being in three D. Yeah. Uh, is a lot of is a lot of fun, but it's like, but like, it's always difficult to top the first one because they end up repeating themselves with the sequels, yes. just doing the same thing but a different location, different characters. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's always yeah, it's always it's it's always going to be just based on someone's opinion. Where it's always like, I mean, horror films especially have got a huge kind of following. Any kind of even though people know they're kind of schlocky and cheap, but they still go in huge numbers to see them. These endless sequels and. When I do, you know, Halloween horror season every every year, it's mm-hmm. always difficult to try and pick the right films because people always want the ones that are the most popular. Then you think, well, the most popular films you choose, they probably know a lot about, and do they need to be told that again, the same information? Right. That's the kind of thing what, what I kind of, in the beginning, I did movies that were kind of sequels or kind of underrated, where I've now done more kind of popular films like Jurassic Park and Blade Runner because mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of giving the audience what they want, but also kind of, you know, not down, to, not, not down to pressure, but down to kind of, well, if people want it. Let's do it. Let's give them what they want. And, um, but. Um, what was it? Like I, like with the horror series, you said mine, like I really enjoyed your near dark review because like, that's a movie that I've, like, like that's in my top five favorite vampire movies. And a lot of oh, people really? don't know about it. And I'm just like, like there would be like, there's a reason why Catherine Bigelow is still a, pr- a presence in Hollywood, and it's because of the success of that that she was able to go on and do like Point Break, and then years later do Hurt Locker, and like it's built upon the success, well, the cult success of Near Dark. 
Yeah, because I, when I did that, I mean, I always, I always loved Near Dark. I got it when it first came out on DVD. I didn't know much about it. And I, Anchor Bay had released a edition in the UK, mm-hmm. and it, I, I was so surprised to see something someone do something new with the vampire genre. Despite the film, you know, you know, when I got it, it was in like early two thousand, two thousand two or three, and it'd been out since what in the late eighties. Yeah. So, but no one had kind of done something different take on it from what I saw. It always kind of the last through the nineties, always kind of a similar trend. Um, but Near Dark at the time, I don't think it may, 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 many people had reviewed it. So I thought, well, I've got to take the opportunity with this because not that many people know about the film. <laughs> and despite being quite having, despite having quite a, a big following. Um, so yeah, I, you know, was more than happy to cover that film and get it right. finally finished. Um, I'll give you one more question and I'll, I'll let this wrap you up. Sure, sure, like, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Now this is hypothetical situation. Yeah. All right. Back in the day, three man fight. It's Stallone, Willis and Arnold. Right. Okay. They go, they go into like, like they go into the Thunderdome. Let's say like we were throwing three of them in the Thunderdome <laughs> <laughs> with all those tools and stuff like that. Who wins? Uh, oh dear. I, mm. I'd probably say Bruce Willis, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because Arnie's got Arnie's. You know, he's, if it was if it was like in the eighties, Arnie's you know looked like predator size. You know, he's huge. Mm-hmm. But I think Bruce Willis is probably too quick for them. Oh, I don't know. Oh God, Stallone would be quite quick because he's a boxer, wasn't he? Trained. Yeah. You know, he's very lean but quick. Um, oh no. Okay. 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 Scratch that. Let's go with Stallone because the stuff he went through on on Rocky Four. Getting punched by Dolph, nearly you know, crushing his ribs, mm-hmm. and then doing first blood, you know, you know, breaking ribs on that, falling through a tree, stuff oh, like that. No one, Bruce Willis wouldn't do that, nor would Arnold. So Stallone, Stallone would take it because he can take the most, take the biggest beating. I think. Yeah, he's willing to put himself through that kind. Of, he's yeah. willing to put himself through the paces. Yeah. And the funny thing is, uh, like, like, Ar- like, like Arnold's my favorite of the three, but yet Stallone's been the most prolific and seems to be the most genuine of the three yeah yeah one of them had did knock up their maid and the other one doesn't seem like he just wants <laughs> money like four million dollars for four days work doing really nothing on expendables three i'm yeah. sorry willis yeah, you're yeah, yeah. a bit of a jerk like that <laughs> all right um so for those who are still listening to this podcast who've made it this far um i want to thank you for everybody who's taking listening and i want to thank you oliver for participating in this interview no it's it's, it's been absolutely great talking to you timothy you're you know Great, you're a great guy. So I'll be more than happy to talk to you again in future. Oh, I appreciate that. So thank you for listening to this podcast with the interview with Oliver Harper. Thank you again, Oliver, for being a participant in it. Thank you very much. All right. Everybody come back next week where we may be seeing Arnold's first big break as a time traveler coming up soon. Talk to you later, everybody. <laughs>